have I got a story for you. Who amongst us doesn't love an underdog that overcomes their circumstances? For instance, take a kid who grows up with parents battling addiction that involves needles, who becomes shooting buddies with his pops and then is saved by the unconditional love of his current wife. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. That is A-N-D-R-E-Y-P-S-Y-C-H-E.com. It's the small town boutique on the corner of the World Wide Web that you will be happily glad that you have wandered into. Go to Amazon if you like and just be like everyone else. I mean, how many fucking times are you just excited to find a prime discount gift? Stop it. Get something original, unique, one of a kind. Everything on AndrePsyche.com is unique and original because it is all created by Andre himself. We, my friends, are talking about art, prints, music, podcasts, poetry, literature, clothing, accessories. I mean, this dude's such a fucking genius, and he literally is a genius. Okay, maybe not literally. I'm not sure if he's been tested, but you can message Andre with an idea for a song. He will chit-chat with you, get back to you, and then write and produce, and then give you a completely original song, either for yourself or for someone you love, care about, or are just trying to fucking impress. I mean, that's the type of shit that my man Andre produces. And you need to go to andrepsyche.com and see what else he has produced. It's going to make you feel better. I'm guaranteeing it right now. Andrepsyche.com needs to be the next site you visit. It's going to be worth the trip down his little rabbit hole. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You pod. Are you willing to do us a favor? Are you willing to click for a good cause? Are you on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook? No, this is not an interrogation. It's a prolonged ask. Please take a moment, friend and or follow the Getting to Know You pod. That's getting the number two, no, the letter U, pod, on whatever social media site you use. And, as if I haven't already asked for so fucking much, please do us just one more favor. The podcast application that you opened and pushed play on to listen to the Getting to Know You pod, just go one step further. Maybe it's actually three. Actually, it's probably fucking none because you're using your thumbs. You're not going to have to step anywhere. And leave a review. Please post a comment. Also, push subscribe. All of these are very simple ways that you can help support the continued production of this podcast, which is greatly appreciated. And finally, if you or your business or a brand or you know someone with a business or brand and would like to partner with the Getting to Know You pod, which by the way is listened to in 36 different states and 21 different countries to date, we would love to partner with you and help all of our listeners 
get to know you, your business, and your brand. Please consider supporting this pod by becoming a sponsor. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know Sam, who is from the great state of Oregon, which does not possess Seattle. So I found out. Awesome to have you on, Sam. Thanks so much, man. Sure. Good to be here. And Sam and I will be battling um, a Zoom rival my daughter for bandwidth. So we'll see how that affects the conversation. We'll see how that affects cutoffs um, or anything like that. Um, I don't know if it will, but just as a FYI to any listeners who think it's kind of crappy or if we get disconnected or whatever, it's not me being a jerk to you, man. It's um, my daughter just probably having like five or seven people on or something like that. All right. All right. So we were halfway chatting about conspiracies a little bit, but I'm I guess before I pick your brain about your favorite conspiracy, because I love hearing people's favorite conspiracies, um, Dr. Sam is fine. Are you like actual doctor, doctor? (laughs) No, about (laughs) four months ago, I told everybody that they needed to smoke a joint and calm down. And if they wouldn't take just somebody's advice, I would become an official Twitter doctor. And so I put the DR in front. (laughs) I have a master's and a bachelor's, but I don't, I don't want a PhD. Got you. Smoke is so that that's a definite West Coast thing, right? Like all problems are solved by just like smoking a joint and chilling, chilling the fuck out. <laughs> See, yeah, right. <laughs> that does seem very like common about it. Uh, have you um Have you always been a West Coast guy? Well, well, yeah. I mean, I was I was born here, and I actually about two years ago, my wife and I decided we needed to reconnect and, and kind of cut the strings of super intense jobs. And so we bought a travel trailer and did two years kind of on the road, working where we wanted. And I lived about a year in Florida. And that combined with all of our kids being here is why I'm back. Because Florida was really, really not for us. Too humid or too old? Uh, you know, I'll say it like this. Florida <laughs> is the most beautiful place as far as the scenery and weather I've ever been. And the people are the exact opposite. There is something a fucking about them, man. Like, like I got, I got, I went there once and I was younger. I want to say I was 19 and immediately skeeved the fuck out anytime I was in public. Like there, there's okay. a vibe that ever, I, I felt like someone was going to put me in the Everglades at some point I would be bait. I, I don't know what it was, but I got, I've, I'm feeling you on that. I got the exact same sensation. Yeah, it's just not for me. I'm glad that people are there. Do your thing. I just, I don't need to go back. Right. What? So, outside of that year, I've been, I've been in the West Coast. Gotcha. And what was going on with the job thing that made you guys cut the cord and then get a hitch? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I had been. Uh, Six years working for a community college, but I worked in corrections, corrections education. 
Holy so shit, I, all man. my job was working in maximum and medium security prisons, helping people get GEDs and associate degrees. Gotcha. And my wife was working with a drug and alcohol reentry program the whole time with recently released people. And after I was there six, she was there seven years. And uh, they're just... Well, those, those are really those are really easy, lightweight jobs, man. I don't understand how you could burn out so quickly. <laughs> right. You're fucking paper yeah. pushers, man. You're basically accountants, right? It's so easy. Paycheck collectors. <laughs> 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 yeah. Holy it's shit. It's an dude. interesting thing because everybody in there who's, who's got the, the suit on that means they're incarcerated, they tell you when you come in, prison's going to change you just like it changes us. And oh. it does. I was a very open and kind of upbeat, happy person. And after six years, I was very reserved. Doing this podcast with you is one of those like steps to break free of those patterns of isolating myself and keeping myself kind of pulled back from people because in prison, you can't share anything about your private life with the incarcerated men. Well, you're not supposed to. Right. And so if you follow the rules at all, then that starts to spill out. At least it did for me. It started to spill out to where I wasn't as open with my friends and family and I was more reserved and, and whatnot in my life. And it's not really who I want to be. And so I left it. And, uh, and we are, my wife and I are, are fluid in our, in our relationship and in our life as far as if things get into a weird spot, we are very open in communication. And, and so we just talked about what options we had and uh, what we could do. And so we cashed out our 401ks and did a couple of years of traveling to reconnect with each other because that was way more important than losing ourselves in career. Oh, dude, ballsy. Cashed in the 401k, took the penalty, the tax it, and all that shit, and you were like, what the fuck ever? Yeah, well, if you want, I mean, sometimes if you're, if you come to a spot, I mean, my wife and I were married for 15 years. The kids had all moved out. When we got married, she had twin girls who were nine and a son who was six. After 15 years, all the kids are grown up and move out. And there's a, a quietness that comes around. And if you don't do something to combat that, then complacency sets in and bad things can happen. And we didn't want that sort of stuff to be our story. So, Gotcha. Man, that's fucking awesome. Um, I'm so... It, it has to suck because most people don't get into teaching to collect paychecks. Yeah, maybe summer's off and shit like that. But like I'm imagining you're getting into teaching because you're passionate about people, you care about people. And then you get put in an environment where like the relational aspects of teaching are off limits. That like six years is a long time to fuck. And I, I'm just, again, assuming maybe you are like – secretly into like power tripping and assigning homework. And that's just something you love getting on people about grammar and their fucking cursive or something like that. But like, it's gotta be frustrating for like that ideal teacher of like, man, I'm changing the world, right? I'm, I'm building relationships. I'm helping people to have to have that kind of distant relationship with students. Yeah. It, yeah. It was difficult because everybody wants to, I mean, one of the, the base ways that we communicate is with our own story. And if that is eliminated from you, then it creates kind of a dry relationship. Now, I like to make jokes and whatnot, and so, and I'm, I'm fairly personable, and so things worked out. And I know that time working there, I, I 
well, I've recently left Facebook. I, I'm done with that whole scene. But I had a couple of people on there that actually were men who had been released and, and reached out and were like, hey, man, thank you a lot. You were one of the people that made some of the time bearable. And, and you know, you know, I don't know. You try and it's never been about money. I just want to feel like a good person. Plus, I threw away uh, 18 to 26 being heroin addict with all of the depravity that that entails. And so I got to try and find ways now to create karmic balance <laughs> just in case there's something bad when we die. I don't want to be too far down the list. I, <laughs> I'm just, it's like when you're getting chased by zombies, right? You're like, motherfucker, I ain't got to be ahead. I just can't be the slowest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's right. I just, a little bit of, a little bit of balance. And I'm, I'm there now. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of, better but i've moved away from teaching i uh after the six years there when we went in florida i actually got a job as a middle school teacher for uh an underserved community in a like the whole school was ran off a u.s bank credit line all the teachers were making 11 dollars an hour and Holy all of the shit. children were um iep or behavioral programs and well, I was that right the, there makes complete total sense because you want to get your kids with your highest needs being taught by people who are making <laughs> the least amount of money. Exactly. Like well, when, I when just you, finished my MFA, so I I took what I could get because I didn't, you know, I was an addict, so self worth is a is a problem sometimes. Oh shit! Gotcha. And I wasn't saying that um, for you. I just sometimes I it boggles me, and I've been hearing this about um colleges too, especially with the online stuff that's happening with COVID is like the bloat of administration drives up the costs so that the kids who need whatever lower class sizes or, um, better facilities, stuff like that. Like it, the money's not going to the teachers, it's going to the administrators. And I think a lot of times in public education, K-12, that can happen as well, where these costs get bloated. And I'm amazed that you're in an underserved place or that, an underserved place with students of high needs would then pay people $11 an hour to help them. Like you wouldn't get, you wouldn't get people who are super qualified wanting to take that job. I would assume like that. No, you know, I'm sure their applicant pool wasn't super big. Right. I said it was my first real like legitimate, my own classroom teaching job. And they told me when I walked in the door, now this is Florida, mind you. They told me all of these kids are going to prison. All we can hope to do is offer them some sort of maybe ability to read while they're incarcerated, to be able to write to their family. This is no joke. I was teaching sixth through eighth grade in a school with 75 children. There were three teachers. We split the class up first and second, third, fourth, and fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. And, and that was it. That was us. There was the three of us and a dean. This fucking dean, dude. I'm sorry. This dean... <laughs> No, you me. can say fucking Dean. Fuck him. Fucking right. Dean saying <laughs> dope, stupid shit like when that. I there, and I came and started talking about, so this and this are kind of problems. All right, I get it. I'm a little more blue than I'm red. I don't really claim a team, but I sort of lean more to helping people or whatever. And that tags me this way. And so uh, I get there and this Dean tells me that the problem with this school, Mr. Temple, is that for the last 10 years, Women have been running this school and hmm. there's no accountability. And I'm like, whoa, you can't say that. There and it is. Said, this is Florida, Mr. Temple. All of that liberal shit doesn't mean anything here. Wow. Okay. Now, how do you like, how do you walk into a classroom and effectively teach 
when that's it. Especially on top of that, when I got hired, they told me, we don't really have a curriculum. Nice. Just find a way to teach these kids something. There you go. There, there right? you go. So, so I walk into a, a classroom and without, I mean, I'm from Oregon. It's not super diverse here. And in Florida, in this particular school, there were two students and myself that weren't black. Right. And so, <laughs> and they just set me in a classroom. Like, here you go. And yeah. And how do I, I mean, I didn't, I, the truth is that out of 12 students, I believe that three of them <laughs> may remember me enough to whatever. We actually learned some algebra. It was pretty good. Once they felt challenged, they actually showed some desire to be learning. Nobody had ever done anything. I, I walked into a classroom with sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and they handed me long division. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And then yeah. they told me we're going to need we're going to need funding, and so. Uh, here's the state test. They hand me the sixth grade test and I handed it right back to that same dean and said, you'll never get funding if you give them this test. Right. They gave third grade tests across the board to every student. That sounds so uh, fucking illegal. That sounds yeah, so fucking illegal. <laughs> yeah, that's when I left. I went back. I mean, that's that's when I left that school and I cooked for a month and my wife and I were like, how about not Florida? And you probably, <laughs> and I'm imagining as a cook, you made more than $11 an hour. I did actually made a buck more cooking at a meat market than I did teaching. What a fucking, what, whoever, (laughs) someone, that Dean must've been fucking skimming like $400,000 a year off of whatever grant bullshit that he fucking mustered up, man. You know how, when you get a job, you take the job because you want the job and then you look into the company. Yeah. The school that I worked for had been a charter school and got, busted for embezzlement and every got thing got shut down and they reopened on a credit line as a private school. Nice. nice. Yeah. So you're absolutely right on the money that there was, the money wasn't coming to teach or for materials. Dude, there's, I think charter school funding is different in every state. Um, but so again, I'm in Delaware and I haven't studied a ton of charter school funding, but I do know, I do believe that when you apply for, first off, it, it, it's such, I, I get maybe charter schools in um, urban areas because maybe if the if the public school is so overwhelmed with numbers or if you want to work on like auto mechanic shit or yeah. woodworking, right? And then we're going to incorporate this kind of a thing, um, a particular um, a particular skill or a particular lane. But my experience with the majority of charter schools are they're fucking money grabs. They're, they're kind of, not not elitist, but they're definitely, well, you have to have certain criteria to get in here. So we're going to separate you and you can be a little better than those public school kids. And then when so they, that's, that's what they sold the parents on, right? They told me this is how we sold the parents, but they also sold them on that. These kids like Florida has a system and this, how the system works is your child goes into public school. They have too much behavior and too much problems and they get kicked out Then they can go to charter schools or private schools. And if the same thing happens, then they can go to the other school. So now you've gone through public, private and charter. Now there's a sheriff camp. And when you pass that sheriff camp curriculum, you are released from the education system. 
That means if you're 12 years old in Florida and you have effectively had so much maybe mental illness that nobody has recognized, you could be now at 12 years old, just on the street all day. No more school. Your parents have to figure out what to do with you. And that's the road to another prison bed for Florida. They're the path of the, it's, it's amazing. pharmaceutical and medical for the old people. And then, uh, privatized prisons. That's Florida's economy and tourism, of course, you know what I mean? But the yeah. stuff, the nuts and bolts in wow. Disney, no. <laughs> Disney. it's soon to be the NBA. Um, Jesus Christ. I so, know, right? And the WWE, what is going on? Yeah. Um, give it all up. Dude, well, it, I guess it's that red state in them where they're just fucking jumping at the chance to make money. And they're like, fuck it, man. If some COVID shit happens, whatevs. I guess the death tax will just get a fucking boom. There'll be a windfall. Um, so would the kids behaviorally get kicked out or would it, it was the sheriff's thing like a GED, basically like a minimum skills test where they were able to then minimum skill test, but not GED level, God. not GED level. Like wow. the kids that went through that didn't have a GED. Florida doesn't have a mandated education in their prison systems. They're not looking for anybody to get out and get better. They're looking for you to stay in there and do laundry for the hospitals at 76 cents a day forever and then come back because you don't have any skills and keep doing that job yeah so just fucking can... manual labor manual labor all yeah. you are is a fucking cog your manual labor absolutely man jesus yeah so in delaware and this is why i'm thinking of the skimming money thing so in delaware every kid has a certain dollar amount that goes with them the state kicks in so much per kid and then the where the kid lives the local district kicks in so much per kid. So I'm just going to make up a number, 20 grand. So if that kid transfers schools, that 20 grand goes to the school that they transfer to. So in Delaware, they don't want kids to transfer out of your district because it it just, it's such a fucking cluster. You try to settle the numbers, but basically if you lose money and it fucks up your projections, how do you keep with your operating expenses? So I'm wondering in Florida, there has to be something similar, right? Where like every kid yeah. is worth a certain amount. Yeah. So if you're not, if you're fucking paying teachers 11, like, were you getting like good benefits at least? Or were the benefits no, shit no, too? There was no, no offered benefit. Package. Oh my fucking God, dude. $11 That's an it. hour. That money is fucking going into someone's pocket. Oh man, I know. And they were, I mean, we had that number too. We had a $7,500 number in on each kid and there were 76 students so you can Holy you can shit. do that math and and know that because well, yeah dude if those kids have papers like if you're iep you actually get more money because you're higher need yeah absolutely oh my fucking god jesus dude yeah. so we just figured out i just figured out my retirement right hire new uh not self-assured teachers for your charter school and just run it two years no dude no 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 you're missing it i'm gonna open up a charter school in a prison and have the prisoners (laughs) teach for 70 cents an hour (laughs) right it'll be like scared straight and then on top of it we'll do a reality show where we record the whole fucking thing and sell (laughs) advertising for it as well Yes. Uh, K through twelve seven nine six two one seven dash five. Exactly. That would be it. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your sentence is school for life. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. 
Dude, I can't yeah. believe that shit is fucking God, like how fucking horrible of a person are you to be cool? Like you look at those kids with needs, man, and you're fucking straight like taking advantage of them in such a fucking diabolical way. Like how are you cool going to sleep on your fucking 2000 thread count Egyptian cotton sheets at night? Right? Dude, I don't know, but I will tell you this. I will tell you this. The board was headed by Reverend Glover. Oh, there it is. I bet you he had a nice-ass car. There's your answer, man. I bet you he had such a great fucking car. Matter of fact, he probably had a car for every day of the week. (laughs) I know he had a really nice suit for every day of the week. Oh, no doubt. Fucking cord. That's Dude, that's another thing that's baffled me. The um, What do they call it? Um, The the money preachers? The... um, Oh, the evangelists? Yeah, no, well, not just evangelists. There's like the prosperity gospel. Those fuckers that just straight push that whole, hey, man, you know, talk it into existence. Hey, if I'm not if I'm not living the example, then you don't know how good God is. I have this because yeah. God is great. No, motherfucker, you have that because you pay no taxes. Every dollar that gets tied to you is a fucking tax-free dollar, man. And you get loans for wicked, ridiculous rates, and you have people that gift you fucking land and all types of shit. So- no fucking wonder, man. I I, I mean, it just, it, it's something, again, it's that hypocritical stuff of the poverty and, oh God, that, that's one of my soapboxes oh, that I just go nuts on. No, that's, I'm with you, man. That's, that's why I'm not built for the South. And now I'm back here and I work for a, a mental health provider as an employment specialist, helping people that are suffering Ill, mental illness to find work that is meaningful to them. Cause I can't, I can't fucking, I can't skim off the house. I just don't have, I don't have it in me. I didn't, I wasn't raised with religion and I wasn't really raised with politics. And so I've had to build my own little ethical moral code or whatever. And even as a junkie, I wasn't so much of a piece of shit that I don't talk to some of those people still. I just, I just don't have it in me. And it's really, I've been trying to convince myself for almost a year to try the stocks to like, just try it, like put 25 bucks in, fuck around on one of those apps, pull the money out if I make it and just play with the over, you know what I mean? Oh, you feel scummy about that? Well, because you know, some companies are going to do well, right? Yeah. So you want to invest where the smart money goes, right? But then you're, consciously fucking investing in the degradation of humanity or whatever. You know what I mean? I mean, can I make a little money off it? I don't know. I know that's a little far out. I get it. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not, I don't push any particular book. I just struggle with what it is to be a good person. And uh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about like, cause I'll buy fucking stock in anything, man be honest with you, like pharmaceuticals who I'm super anti about what they do. Although the research is great. I just feel they fucking gouge the prices. Um, yeah, I, but you know, like, I, I don't know, I've gotten into that, but I've never considered, I, I guess I just looked at it more as like the number and not as much as the supporting of the company. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I have never played with it. I don't come from money or, or anything like that. So it's just new to me. Yeah. Me either. So, That's why I got into it. Yeah. <laughs> I was and like, I hear rich people talking about this shit all the time. Let me see what's up. And here's the thing. Like, here's the thing. My wife and I was settled down back here in Oregon uh, in these jobs in November after the Florida experience and everything. And since we've got back, one of our kids is now 
bought their house for the first time. And we opted out of buying a house to do the traveling. At the same time, there's a thing that happened to me when my kid bought a house before I did. And, <laughs> and her husband and I had had this conversation a couple of times because he, he, he's fully in that same mode of, dude, it doesn't, you're not really, it's not like you're out there tapping wells or anything. You're, you're just. Yeah. Like playing, you're not actually tracking. Yeah. You're, you're, you're just playing numbers on a game, just like any other video game. Just think of it like that. And I'm like, right. well, I want to get my head around it because I, I know that there's something to it. And I pissed off my retirement. <laughs> so, uh, I didn't piss it off. I saved my marriage and I had a wonderful two years. I don't want to say it yeah. like that. Cause that's not the truth. At the same time at 44 years old, I have, this long and I have no faith that social security will be there in any form. And so I, I think that you're going to have to have something you've built yourself that you can lean on when you get into those golden years. Yeah. Well, man, you fucking to build that. Right. Yeah. And then especially, so you go to the prison job. What, how old were you when you did the prison or the community college um, GED stuff for the prison? see i went back to school when i was 34 and i got the job about when i finished my associates and did my bachelor's while working through there so i got the job at 36 and worked six years no god 35 i started at 35 and worked six years because we left about 41 so were was part of doing that job thinking kind of like pension state teacher you do my 20 years i got a state pension kind of a thing or nah well, yeah, at the time there, I had thought about that because it's the same thing. You get into your thirties and you start thinking about, well, I didn't do anything for a lot of, I mean, my, my first half of my twenties was just running and gunning. And so I didn't do anything forward thinking. Right. And then the first years that my wife and I were together, it took me kind of a minute to wrap my head around, not just playing all the time. <laughs> right and, uh, and so then i got my head around work and i and i found that i could i could cook well and get those jobs easy and so i would do that until i got tired of it and then go pull lumber in the mills around here until it got cold then i go back and cook and i was working with this old boy who was making two dollars more than i was and he was in bad, bad shape. The mill had beat him up for 12 years and he was making $2 more. Wow. And I went and I told my wife, you know what? This, I'm going to die this way or I'm going to try something else. And let's look into school. Like, why not for the hell of it? Right. And we, we just went down and spoke to the local guidance counselor at the community college and all that jazz and signed up. And it came pretty easy. And so I just kept on it going. And, uh, yeah, dude. And that was the only thing like in a, in a, whatever, both my parents are gone for some years now, but the only thing my dad ever asked of me was to not beat my body up the whole time and then die young. Mm. And so now I have the opportunity to, I mean, I have a desk job anyway. <laughs> so I guess he could be happy or proud of that. <laughs> the keeper. It's Oregon. I take the dogs out in the mountains and hike and uh, do mushrooms. And or I mean, well, I do mushrooms and pick like edible mushrooms. But you know, I uh, yeah, I'm you, outdoorsy that way. But 
Right. Best job. Yeah. Well, you got to, ba- I mean, everything's a balance, right? And it's funny because like people, fucking desk job people will go to CrossFit and throw tires and saw shit and hammer shit and, and you're, and they're climbing, right? And they're just like hand strength. Ah, oh, and then it's like, you know, why don't you just go fucking be a construct, like go build houses, man. You would get the exact same workout, but it'd be eight hours a day. They're like, oh no, I can never do that. But like, it's cause everyone seeks that balance. Right. And then it's so hard for construction dudes and people who are blue collarish. Like it's very rare to find those cats hitting up gyms with all the white collar professionals. No, that's it. I never really thought about that, but that's a very good point. Yeah. And, and, but, but I think the human body is meant to kind of do both like the self actualization of like, you want the mental challenge, but at the same time you want physical exertion and you got, then you need rest as well. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, I, I think it's awesome to find a balance for that, man. Um, and nothing wrong with that. But no, I, I, I mean, I, I want to, <laughs> there is, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about community college because I fucking love me some community college. Like I, I went to a community college for two years, saved a shit ton of money um, before I uh, went on to get my bachelor's. And I feel sometimes they can be a little misrepresented. Like people almost overlook them. And I feel like they are the key to limiting student debt for kids coming out of high school because man, you're not fucking ready to make life choices and plan for five years, four years down the road when you're tab. It's like fucking hopping in a taxi or if you're ordering an Uber and you have no idea where the fuck you're going, but you're like, man, just drive. We'll figure it out. And then you get to your destination and you're like, Oh my God, this fucking charge and community colleges are such a good fucking way to just tread water, like show up, Take skills, find out what you're into. If you thought you were into this, let's see about that pathway. And then all of a sudden it's, you know what? I actually, now I want to get into not no longer cooking. I want to see if I can teach. Cool. It only cost you a couple grand versus $20,000. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm hundred percent with you, man. It's, it's what I had no idea what, what I went to was going to school for. I just knew that I was trying not to beat my body up anymore. And, uh, you have to take in community college for I'm old enough that I didn't have to take a foreign language if I went the arts route okay. in my AAOT. Cause I was in Oregon. If you graduated high school before 97, you didn't have to have the two years foreign language. Gotcha. And I took a couple of terms of Spanish. It was, and I was doing well, but I wasn't learning anything. It's it was doing it was, bueno. You, you were doing bueno. Yes, sir. I was. Senor. Was- Senor. See, I can tell already. No wonder, man. No wonder it was difficult for you. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, the problem was that it, it became a math equation because I don't know if you've taken foreign language and I don't know how all of them work, but in Spanish, everything is about making everything in agreement. All of the endings have to end in an AS or an AOS or an OS or whatever. And so that everything is in agreement. Right. I didn't know what any words meant but I could make everything in agreement like a okay. motherfucker. Yeah. You are a grammar and, star. Una, yeah. Una and so, de grammar. And, and right. And so I, <laughs> at two terms, I, I, my, one of my favorite teachers with this was this particular Spanish teacher, an old boy who had, uh, hitchhiked South America six or eight times in his life. Go fucking and, get uh, it. Jesus. Yeah. 
he uh, he actually taught a, a class that was called Revolutions, Latin American Revolutions, and it was one of the best classes I ever took. But uh, I told him, I, I'm leaving your Spanish class. He did the 101, 102, 103, and I did 101 and 102, and I said, I'm not coming in for the next one. I don't have to have it. I don't want to do this. And he was all bummed because we were, we were buddies. We like got together and had coffee and shot the shit for a while after school. Right. That's something I didn't get with my bachelor's, too. There were two professors that we like bumped into each other sometimes and would chat like friends as opposed to Bill and Richard, you know? Right. And Michelle, I'm actually friends, pretty good friends with the the speech teacher. She brought us into the prison work. She uh, was doing a speech class and you had to have just one speech credit. And on the last, like right before our final speech or whatever, she said, so next term, I'm doing this class in the prison. It's called an inside out class where I take 12 students from campus and we go to um, the maximum security prison and Shemekita offered an associates of business and associates of arts and associate general transfer to incarcerated men if you fell into a certain criteria. And so I took two of those classes consecutive. I took a speech in groups and then like a a nonverbal communication in prison, both of them. And then I started volunteering in a writer's group with her. And then I got the job. Like it was, she was the catalyst for that. Gotcha. So taking that class, are you just taking kind of like generalized credits or when you were enrolled, you were like teaching is the way I wanted to go. No, no, no. I, uh, I um, fell into a sociology class and just because you had to have hard and soft science, right? Yeah. And so um, I took geology and I took sociology and something about sociology. It made me recognize the places in my life where I had been influenced and allowed me an understanding in a way to like... I don't know. What did you say? You said something about the the preachers earlier, the ones that think it into existence. Well, I actually happen to be one of those people in certain regards. I, I believe myself to be the same, made of the same thing that created everything. And so I have to be able to be creative as well. I don't know if that makes sense, but I kind of live in this space of that. And I've had a lot of success for the last 17 and a half years opposed to the 10 years of being a junkie before that. And so it's working for me. I'll keep doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you West coast motherfuckers and your psychedelics, most of y'all <laughs> think that shit. Good Lord. <laughs> no. Well, I know. Hey, I'm, I'm fully entrenched in that community. And so you're right. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, we, we think we're open and if it works in your life though, that's the thing. I don't, I, I don't get Christians. And I have a real problem with the overall umbrella, but an individual Christian who's just trying to walk a good path is not a bad person, dude. They're just trying to do their thing. Yeah. And that's all I'm trying to do is just be a good person. I just can't take that road. It's not my road. No, I've, I've actually spoken to a couple um, people on the podcast who've um, brought up the, the power of speech and the power of signs and the power of, um, speaking it into existence, but it's not a prosperity thing. It's a lot like what you're saying where you give off this energy. I think it was Kyleen and Jen, two different people. It was like almost like a month apart, but it's like eerie 
how people can have like the same feelings. One's in Minnesota, one's in California, you know, like completely different parts of the country. But they're like, you realize the energy and aura. And I really liked how you said it, dude. Um, I, I thought it was beautiful that like I'm made from the same stuff that made all this other shit. So I probably have some powers. I, I have like this electric field or I have this ability where I can make shit happen. Um, I am a little more in control than just almost, you don't want to say victim, but like helpless or like a jellyfish, just fucking riding currents. You you have to, I mean, you're going to, I don't know. I think that that, what you just said is, is the backdrop problem with a lot of mental illness in this country. This is going to be the most popular thing to say, but accountability is a bitch. Oh, for sure. And you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta put the victim hat down and decide for yourself that it's time to take control of your life and if that means that you're a fucking hippy dippy acid head or if it means that you're just trying to walk a path where you're in control and not just allowing things to negate or dictate dictate your life my my wife loves to say not to make or not to make a choice is making a choice. Yeah, right. And so, you know, you can do it or you cannot do it or you can let it happen to you. Well, it's part of why setting goals are so empowering for people, especially those who feel helpless. And and it's such, can be such fucking basic goals for anyone where it's like, man, get, get through an hour, finish four of these things. Don't Don't get yelled at, you know, and the whole day by day thing for AA meetings and stuff like that. It's like, it's just one day, man. It's just one hour. It's just one meeting. And then you feel like, well, I went to a meeting today. I'm successful. I, 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 I made that choice. I sat there. I was in control. And it works for fucking everything. It's why people with goals are productive because it gives them a focus and it almost allows them to not dwell on whatever has happened to them before to put them in that situation of not, not victimized, but almost feeling helpless or hapless. And now it's like, man, I'm fucking badass. Like I'm getting shit done. Yeah. And you know, in a lot of ways, community college and then doing my bachelor's degree after has been the biggest, the biggest like a uh, bump to that skill because college is all about taking a goal and breaking it down into a bunch of smaller goals yeah. and then breaking down into little section goals yeah. and taking the steps and doing every piece of the step. You know what I mean? And you know, it's just, dude, I've spoken and, I, and I'm sorry, man. And this, one of the things, and it's funny cause when you kicked, um, when you kicked Facebook, I like talking to people through Facebook's messenger app a little better because I feel zoom when, um, one person speaks or maybe it's me cause I'm the host. I feel like zoom has a preference for the host where if I start talking, it almost immediately cuts you out. So I don't mean to, I'm not trying to be rude or anything. Um, I just, I almost have to make that blanket apology every time I record on Zoom. Yeah, no worries. I haven't I haven't felt that way or, okay. or noticed it, so I'm I'm good. So I, I had spoken, um, and I haven't posted it yet. But Jawan is a mental health counselor here in Delaware, and he was a, a basketball player. So he was a successful high school player. Played off, started four years college ball. So you're a fucking baller, dude. You can start for four years in college, two different colleges. You're a baller. You're averaging 20 a game at a point like in college, you're fucking legit. And we got into talking about the importance of basketball and people are like life lessons, life lessons. And he's like, it's so fucking true because it's a lot like what you're saying. 
what do I got to do? Well, coach said I got to be ready at four o'clock for practice. Okay, cool. Now I got to be engaged for an hour and a half to two hours. Okay, cool. Now I got to do that five days a week. Okay, cool. Now I got to do that for four weeks a month. Okay, cool. Now I got to do that for three straight months. Okay, cool. Well, guess what happens if you show up ready on time for consecutive days, weeks, and months? It's called a fucking career. Yeah. (laughs) And and what you're saying about community colleges is a lot of what people can also get from sports, which is just that consistency of broken down goals and then feeling successful when you reach your objective. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's just harder to find that later in life. I guess maybe bowling or pool leagues or something like that. <laughs> stock market. Most people go to the stock market, man. I hate to tell you. Oh, see, there you go. That's, that's the one. See, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Just $5 a day. You know, you put it in there. It's almost like a, instead of fantasy football type shit, you try to just use that um, knowledge and data breakdown for stock markets. So I never got to hear. So the sociology class and you being self-reflective led you to think teaching would just fit you or like it would be a great job for you? No, it, it, it's, it's all, it's all smoke and mirrors, man. I, uh, I liked sociology, so I just kept taking it. And when I finished my associate's degree, I didn't want to go to work yet. So I went for my bachelor's and I had, at that time, I had been uh, conspiracy dooming pretty hard. And I was like, I want to go to Eastern Oregon. I don't want to be on this side of the Cascades anymore. I don't like it. <laughs> and so I signed up for Eastern Oregon University and their anthropology, sociology, uh, bachelor of science. And I went through that and then I got the job in the, in the prison just with that, working uh, as an instructional specialist. I wasn't a quote-unquote teacher, although I did teach a lot and do all this stuff. I was an instructional specialist. Gotcha. And, and then... But what I made would, you want to say yes to the job? Just being around the speech teacher where you were like, man, this just sounds dope or it was a good money grab no, for no, you? No, the, the incarcerated men. Dude, I never, like, I was all about, you know, the, the AT in college where if you sit in the front row or down the middle aisle, then those are the A kids. No, you ever heard I, that? I had not, but that makes so much sense. All right. Well, I have always been a little rebellious with nothing to fight against or whatever. (laughs) And so I sat (laughs) in the back corner and would answer all the questions and do everything I could to be top of the class. Like it was important to me to be deans and presidents list every term and, 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 smoke weed all the time and yeah, be and who be I was I love it. Yeah. I fucking, I fucking love, I, I, I do the same thing so, with golf. Now I purposefully have shitty clubs. I, I dress like a fucking dick. I take my shirt off. Like I'm out there <laughs> fucking tanning and like, I'm just laughing at, and I'm not like great or anything, but I love like the looks from the other dudes who have the fucking $200 polo, the $400 driver, the $600 putter, and like, right? you, wh- yeah. what the fuck are you doing, bro? Look, all that, and guess what? You got some funky ass tan line on your forehead because you're wearing a hat. Like I'm fucking <laughs> listening to music and I'm drinking beer, and it's so enjoyable. And it, it's funny because I'm so that guy, and I, I, it, it's it's always nice to meet other like fuck you. I can be just as good as you without doing the whole like social norm thing, like what's expected. Yeah. It, it's exactly. it's the rebel. And that's- 
that was what sociology gave to me. It gave me like all of the information to be able to fight against that in every way that I could, almost in all the ways that I could perceive. I could, I could draw on that stuff to be like, okay, this is why this is what's happening. So how do I fuck that system? Fuck you system, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yes. uh, and so, but when I took those two classes with the, with the incarcerated students, those men were about their fucking business and I had to work to keep up. And oh, it, really? was, it was an incredibly like a, what was it? emotional like it was a strong thing that was happening there and i wanted to be a part of it because they these guys were you had to be five years out you couldn't have the kind of offenses that that wouldn't let you get jobs right there was there was strict kind of criteria and if you made it into that program it was i don't know how much status it was but i know that it was important to those those men in in a tremendous way it gave them a pride that that made me feel good when i was a good student and shit because right. they were because they were about it and so i stuck with it i went in there to help them do that and then i saw how like the dark underbelly of of education i'm all about eliminate student debt because i watched person after person after person come to me with crimes that would never allow them to get any kind of job and sometimes never even be released and get all of the student loans to do correspondence classes to get degree after degree. Okay. That's predatory lending. Wait, and wait, that, wait. I, I, I'm, I'm confused. Are the prisoners paying to take these classes with you or are you talking about separate classes? They were paying. They had to pay part out of pocket and Shut then the we, fuck up, dude. They were they were working like what I was saying. Oh those, my so those guys God. were laundry guys and, and spending their money on books. It was but we brought FAFSA in. By the time I left there, we had FAFSA as part of the thing. But then it started to get dirty. You know what I mean? Like everybody could get FAFSA. And and then it was, you know what I mean? It became this this game. As long as you could pass classes, you get all this money. Right. And then when you go out, you're sitting on all this money and that's it. You know what I mean? You just have this pile of money. And that was the, that, that became kind of part of the game. Not I had whole, no fucking saying, idea. dude. Was, like I, I thought I, I, I never thought about that, that I, I've heard of, you know, educating prisoners, but I never, I, I just thought like the fucking government was flipping that bill. I no, no. When we first came in, we would offer them, offer them classes, and Shemekita paid the teachers, but they had to pay tuition and books out of pocket. And we would like they wouldn't get new books. A lot of those guys were using older sets to make do. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's hard to bring and it's hard to bring stuff into prisons, especially like boxes of books. That's like a, a hard sell. Yeah, because the files in there, like what you don't want them fucking educated. Jesus Christ, I don't want to get into that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) sure, yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, because there's no fucking machines that, or you know, would take way too much time to like open the box, flip through the pages, be like, yeah, it's a book. (laughs) Like motherfuckers are way too busy in the watchtowers to take two minutes out of their day to do that. Um, 
but at the same time, prison guards tend to be very underpaid. <laughs> so I don't want to like shit on them either. Cause that's, that's hey, a rough fucking job too. I will say this to that in Oregon, you'd be hard pressed to find a better paying job with better benefits. And that is a fact. That is a fact. Prison guard over cop. I, I would say easily equal to easily. What? Stop um, dude. They pay, they pay good here. I mean, I don't know what good is, right? This is Oregon. Nobody's getting rich out here. Yeah, but well, it's a standard of living thing, right? So like, are you, to me, good would be your successful middle class. Like you, you're not living paycheck to paycheck. You, your house, like you're not sweating your bills. You're, you're on a budget, but you're not like worried if all of a sudden the electric bill is like a fucking extra $50 or the heat bill is like an extra hundred. It doesn't fuck you up. Unexpected so that, costs come up and then you're like, okay, cool. We got that. It, it's like if your car breaks down, you're not fucked, you know? I get that. And, but if you make, like, if you're, if you're bringing into your house seven or $8,000 a month, you have that security if you piss your money away. Right. Because you get that much money every month. I mean, I don't know what bills are out there. I paid twelve fifty for rent. And when I add all my bills up that I can come up with the month for the month, I'm around three grand. My wife and I do better than that, but we, she has a state job and I have a, a, a decent, like the next best thing to a state job kind of thing. Gotcha. I work for a, the, the county mental health provider and I have all the security in the world because they can't get rid of us by federal law and state law. So, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's good as a state job, but it's not under the umbrella of the state. Gotcha. Wow. I fucking prison guards are doing that well. I mean, I, in over here, they can get overtime like a motherfucker. But like, you know, they're working like crazy, yeah. stupid hours. And then you're fucking, when you get into it, you're bottom of the pole. You're fucking on the shit shifts all overnight, you know, which some of them like, yeah. cause then you don't fuck with the prisoners, you know? And, yeah, they, and it's like way, does. way safer, I guess, in a, in a sense, but it just fucks up your life working when everyone else is sleeping, you know? And then you're waiting for some dude to retire and fucking having to move around to different prisons for different opportunities. Um, yeah, it's not like a desirable position, I don't think, around here. No, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have any part of it. But there was a lot of ex military that, that I believe there's a certain amount of authority that you you that is intrinsically in that position. Oh, and if you don't yeah. have the if you don't have the makeup to become a cop, then you can go do that as yeah. a as a as a ex military person and be set. Now you've got two retirements. Right. And that's what a lot of those guys were were all about you know what i mean gotcha. they were all about that i'm 10 years into my second full retirement through this job after doing 20 in the military and but i i'm not gonna you know there there's decent people in all roles oh yeah you know? yeah yeah no i'm just I'm, I'm just amazed that it's um that that it, it's that and maybe i'm wrong about delaware's but i just i i, I thought it was a, like okay living i didn't think it was like on level of cops. But I, I guess anyway, I'm more fucking shook at the, the prisoners. You're fucking loaning these people money who are convicted and they have no fucking source of income. What the fuck? What the fuck? Yeah. Like you go to any bank with that shit and you're like, yeah, I'm going to get a felon who can't fucking get jobs. Won't pass a background check. Can't get a security clearance. going to have an associates and maybe be, c could you get to be a shift manager at Walmart with that? Well, that, that would, I don't know. I don't know. Walmart's pretty corporate. 
you might have to go a little smaller than that. Like yeah. Fred Meyer out here. I don't think you guys have that over there. That's kind of a local. No, but I, I guess I'm like just trying to like put the scenario of like now how do you cash in and get the returns on investment ROI for all of our day trading swing traders out there. Um, you know, what you do is you now you have effectively taken this incarcerated person and put them in financial prison for the rest of their lives. Exactly. And it makes no sense. Like, I don't, I don't understand how they pay that shit off. It's hard. They don't. To, That's not the point, dude. It's not. They don't. None of this wants you to pay it off. They want you to pay it forever. Yeah. They want you to pay it at $200 a month so you can barely get the interest paid so yeah. that you're never free of it till you die. Do you know who sets the interest rate on student loans? No, I don't have any idea. Congress. Do you know, <laughs> no, dude, dude, I fucking took out a student loan and um, whatever. Like it was, it was a little shady on my part. Not shady, but shady. I um, I didn't need it, but I there was a teacher forgiveness grant um that my current job that I was in um would apply for. So if I took the loan for my graduate degree, I knew that the majority of it would be forgiven, and I would come out like twelve grand ahead. Yeah. So yeah. I applied for the loan, not needing it, and then like. I'd never done it before. I'd always like waited tables, worked, you know, um, I went to the military, so I didn't have any student debt. I was like anti that because I'd heard it's fucking shackles. So when I get yeah. into it, I find out like you motherfuckers got the juice running day one. Fuck you. No. Right. Like the principles there and the fucking the, the interest is just going. Number two, why am I paying 6.9% interest with my bomb ass credit? I can get a 30 year mortgage for fucking 300 grand at like 3.5. But you're going to loan me 20 grand? Like car loans, I was getting better interest rates. I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? So I start calling around and like getting at like local senators, congressmen and shit. And I'm like, this is fucked up. And you realize the lobbyists just fucking have it under wraps. Like the Congress doesn't care because they set the fucking loan and they get to reap all the interest benefits. It's so fucked up. The whole student loan thing is so fucked up for what it's supposed to do, which is help you to be a better citizen, more educated and make more money and then pay more taxes. But they get you both ways, man. It's, it's shit. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I participated in the, in the Occupy, spent a week in Portland and a couple of weeks in Salem. And that became part of the narrative. The eliminate student debt became part of the narrative. And then I worked in prison and watched the way they were lending and who they were lending and how easy it was. And I thought to myself, well, this is a joke. It's not going to be able to sustain itself forever. And so when the opportunity to take my master's came along, I took it. And it was it was all on it's I I owe that money and I believe what I believe that I I first of all I work in a rural area so I can I and I uh work with underserved population. And so there's different things that I can sign up that keeps my payments very low. And as I pay, as long as I maintain those payments for 10 years, it will eliminate it, the student student debt on its own as one of those programs, right? Yeah. So, so I'm on board for that. But I still believe that in the next, it, whatever happens with this next election, the following election, providing there's space for that, I don't know. It's been pretty weird lately. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Jesus the, the pendulum, The pendulum always swings back though and right. when it swings back you get more 
you get more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when Clinton came in, for my in my lifetime, when Clinton came in, the conversation became a public conversation about healthcare for everybody. And then by the time Obama got in the office after the Bush years, he brought a form of it in. And now it's been removed and these years are happening. And when it comes back the other way, it will be a completely like, it will be whatever Obama was thinking he was trying to aid in with the affordable care. It will be much closer to that that comes down the pipeline, probably just the way that the pendulum swings. Right. And through that, I believe that they're going to have to address student loans and student debt. And when they do, I think they'll eliminate probably debt on associates and maybe even bachelors. And then you'll be on the hook for the rest because you can get a good job with a bachelor's degree. Right. And, uh, and so I'm happy to pay the master's degree 22 grand back, but I don't really want to pay the, the whole 89 because we raised three kids going to school full-time using loans and working part-time and, and making things go that way. We had been working a long time and totally used the system that way. And it's been paying since and we'll pay forever. You know what I mean? But yeah, at the same I, time, why not have dreams? You know, this has been the one problem with the, the, the creation machine idea. And it is that I can't, I can't create money. Like I can create, all these other successes and wonderful happiness, but to actually create monetary and, and even for other people, I can help that. But when I try to turn it for myself, then I start thinking about things the wrong way or something. And I can't get my head around it. And so I can't manifest cash, but pretty much all the other happinesses I have on lockdown, not that money makes you happy. It, just <laughs> it makes you, I believe that there's an access, you know, you don't need too much. But there's an access that some creates that probably helps in a little bit of happiness. I'm not going to lie. Oh, dude. 100 fucking percent, dude. 100 <laughs> right? fucking right. percent. I was trying not to go too. Yeah. No, you fucking, dude, it's, it's, and well, so if you're going to live in our society and our culture, which is a capitalistic one, yeah, of course you need fucking money to be happy sure. and be successful because it's fucking standard of living type shit, man. It's That's options. Right, like it, we're no, yeah, we're not absolutely. nomadic hunters. Who gives a fuck about money in Siberia if you're chasing down reindeer? Right, like I don't fucking care, dude. I, I care about like what are my clothes like? Right, what, what's my shelter like? Where's my food supply? Right, no, it's yeah, yeah dude. The the world we live in in America is hundred percent. You need money to uh, money is a huge part of your happiness. Huge part. Well, see, that's the that's the downside to the to the acid culture, is because it yeah. brings with the sense that you don't really need that to be happy, and you shouldn't strive for that to be happy because all yeah. these other things are so wonderful and beautiful. Yeah, too. do do you know who's telling you all that shit? The people Yourself. who are fucking charging you for subscriptions to their service so they can take your money while they tell you about how money doesn't really matter. Well, no, I I came. To, these realizations standing at the mouth of the river on the ocean on a moonless night surrounded by stars, not because somebody told me <laughs> something more than a dollar bill became important to me out there and being part of all of that stuff was that. And it's hard for me. I mean, I'm a capitalist. I work, I spend money and buy stuff, but living by a credo, I try not to live by any credo 
except for the one that I'm I'm writing. You know what I mean? And so, I but see. I have to figure this out because I'm 44 and I don't want to be fucking still broke and philosophizing or what you know <laughs> or gotcha. whatever the. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I see where you're going with that now. The the realization. I thought you were um, speaking about that um that mental wellness culture of letting go of assets and finding happiness within yourself, which is so like the, the, the mental health coach type thing where it's, it's needed, but at the same time, you know, they, it's like the prosperity preachers where they tell you about how much, you know, you don't need money, but it's their lifestyles are all about having money and wealth and access and personalized yoga mats for fucking 40 grand while they're, you know, living on beachfront property that you could never fucking afford you're zooming watching their yoga lessons and you're like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand why I shouldn't be like grinding myself. Yeah, no, I, I get you. I just have like, I don't know when, when I married my wife, I didn't, I came from a, a bad scene. And so I didn't want to bring bad influence. I was all about the drug culture and, unsavory things and so i cut all that stuff like really in a serious way listen to like oldies and sinatra and shit like that just safe shit for a few years because i didn't want to be a negative influence i just i was worried about that stuff and i i i still and maybe this is like where crazy like whatever this part of the culture is that i don't fuck with i don't go see a psychologist and i don't have any diagnosis but i worry about shit that maybe doesn't matter and so there you know what i mean <laughs> what are you gonna do but it's what's still a, who i am what's a worry like what's one of the worries that you're that you think is like odd? well like i said earlier like like the difference between just playing the numbers and trying to learn what companies are linked to what companies before you invest money in a stock gotcha like that sort of thing, like stupid shit that, and it's not, it's not that it's stupid. It's just that why is it a concern when it isn't for a lot of people? And, and it's just, you know, whatever, man, it's, it's the, what do you, what do you say? If I was to have a diagnosis, my worry would be part, part of it. My unnecessary, silly worry but I don't and I wouldn't, I'm not participating in that scene. So I'll just worry about things sometimes. You know, you could probably, <laughs> well, you could probably self-diagnose yourself if you went to like a teen Vogue magazine or some shit and just took a little personality quiz. Right. And that's good. I could, I could do that. 10 questions. No doubt. I'm sure there's all. Back when of... I was on Facebook, those were my favorite, man. You see people, I don't know how it was or how it is for you, but I kept my Facebook real tight. I had like 62 people on there and it was just friends and family. And that kept me from being too ranty against their nonsense. Truthfully, that's why I did it because it's hard for me on social media not to be like, that is crazy. How about this other side of that coin? Mm. And if it's only people you actually care about, then you're less likely to jump both feed into somebody's ass about something yeah. when it's just their, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you can also maybe actually have a conversation with the person versus just fucking all capital yelling <laughs> and insulting. You know, it used to be that way, but really over the last five years, the ability for that sort of thing to happen is, is less and less. It's very nice actually, because it hasn't been 
it hasn't been this. I mean, you know what I mean? There's there's not a lot of just conversation. There's a lot of podcast conversation. But when you try and talk to your your relative who sits on the other side of the fence, it's very difficult to keep that conversation from straying into some argument or some the tribe the talking fishing thing to see if we can turn left or right and i have a problem with like when people do that if you let them do that then the tendency is they're going to do it again they're going to do it again and pretty soon they're up on their soapbox and you've got to decide are you just going to take this are you going to express how you feel about something too and then it gets weird. You know what I mean? Everything <laughs> turns over because, and I say, if you just say at the very front end, hey man, listen, yes, great. We're all here. We all have those opinions, but let's save that for not here because it's going to get weird. This is what's going to happen. We all know. <laughs> and if that's what you're fishing for, then let's just, let's just go all out. Like I'm not much of a boxer or never have been that kind of guy, but why don't we just go crazy with it? Why, why, why beat around the bush and see if we can puff our chest out the farthest over nonsense? Because I really, I, I've been thinking a lot about this. And the only time in my life, and maybe this is, this is, this is like white privilege. Maybe that's what this is. This is the, the only time in my life that a sitting president, president made an actual decision that took an effect in my personal life is one time and that is when i filed my 2018 taxes i hadn't had insurance all the year because i had been traveling and i was going to get penalized because of that because of the affordable care have to have insurance thing oh, so yeah. that, 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 that is actually the only thing that i can recall that a president like I did this and then something happened in my life that I could directly correlate back because state law usually supersedes, you know what I mean? So Oregon makes decisions for me most of the time, right? As far as that goes. And, uh, and so I don't know, man, it's, it's a show, man. I feel like that shit is a show for people who don't like sports. <laughs> it, it definitely has turned into it. Um, with the, uh, the, I don't know, man, the, it, it's, it's odd to me that the CNN and Fox are so fucking polar opposite. And I love like flipping back and forth between them when shit's going down just to see how they're fucking spinning it. The words that are used, like, um, is it murder or was it death in police in police custody? Right? Like you just start looking at how you want to frame it. And it's like, as we approach the astronomical number of 100,000 deaths, and then other things are like, we're the best tested country. Of course, we're going to have a high mortality rate because we're taking care of people and we're not lying about numbers. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, like there, yeah. there's no truth anymore. It, 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 it's all, I don't know, it, it's all, it is, it's a show, man. It's a spectacle. But again, it's a capitalistic thing because what the fuck is the news company trying to do, man? They want you to be there so that they can sell ads to you. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's yeah. not, it's not fucking, I don't know. To me, it's not complicated. It's just neat to see how they try to spin shit. No, it is. It absolutely, it absolutely is. And that's, that's the only reason I pay attention. So I, yeah, go ahead. Oh no. Well, it was just something stupid in my head when you were talking about boxing and political um, shit. Have you ever read the book, the chocolate war 
I do not think I have. Okay. Fuck. I want to say, I don't know how to say his last name. It's Robert Cormier, Cormier. But anyway, it's set in the seventies and this kid is supposed to sell chocolates at a Catholic school. Everybody has to sell chocolates, fucking 50 boxes, $2 a pop. That's how the school is making money. So there's this underground gang that does all sorts of pranks, right? The priests that run the school go to the gang and get involved with the gang saying, we need you to make sure we sell all these chocolates. So the fucking gang leader tells one kid in the whole school to not accept the chocolates. So he has to keep saying no every time, right? So then the gang guy says, all right, man, that's good enough. Go ahead and accept the chocolates. Well, the kid's like, no, I'm just not going to sell them. So now the gang's pissed. The priests are pissed. The kids in the school are pissed. Like everybody's against this kid. And here's how it connects. So it gets solved by this. It's, this is why it's the chocolate war. They do a boxing match where you get to buy a raffle ticket as spectators for $2. And you get to write down who punches who and where. And it's a random draw. So these two dudes square off and they just fucking stand there. And it would be like, Sean hits Sam right hook. <laughs> and then like another one. It's like Sam uppercut to Sean's gut and go back and forth, right? So wouldn't it be awesome if fucking relatives just took their talking points, put them in a box and they're like, you know, we're just going to fucking square off, man. And when you pull out your talking point, you get to hit me with it, but literally hit me with it. And the first motherfucker that gets knocked out is the loser and you get to be the winner. (laughs) I I know that was like a long explanation to get there, but in my head, it was just such a fucking funny picture to think about, you know, like everyone needs insurance jab to the nose. What? You know, (laughs) free market rules all kidney punch and just fucking going at like your 80 year old uncle who's four whiskey sours deep and just really wants to change your perspectives in life. I don't know. I just, I like it. No, that's good stuff. God, I'm such an idiot. This is what happens when you read all day. You just fucking, you come up with stupid ass storylines. Man, I, I gotta, yeah, to just go back, I don't even know where to go from there, but I'm super, (laughs) you going into prison being an, um, an ex addict, how does that fuck with you mentally? Well, or did it at all or no? Am I thinking about that the wrong way? I don't know. You know, you were talking about the, the power of speech and talking things into being. I read that material too. And that material said you couldn't use, you couldn't use negative words in your, in your manifestations. Right. And I thought that's gotta be bullshit. If you're manifesting, you're manifesting. So I said, I am not shooting drugs anymore. And I did that for a year. And every time I would think about drugs, a little more than a year, every time I'd think about drugs, I would take every step. I would visualize every single, every step, who I was going to borrow money from or what I had seen in the neighborhood that I could steal, what pawn shop I was going to sell it at and who I was going to call for a ride to Portland, the bridge I was going to stand under, the guys I was going to look for, what bathroom I was going to shoot drugs in. And then when I got to the place in my head where I was holding the needle against my arm, I would, I'm not shooting drugs anymore. And then when Tina get home, I tell her I have one of these days and I go through the whole process. It took me more than a year and I got through it. 
And after that, I felt pretty good about it. And I have had a couple of moments where things have brought it back, but prison wasn't, prison was not one of them. That was a, a positive experience for me all the way around. It was a, it was, I didn't really encounter a lot of bad attitude. I didn't really deal with a lot of the negative sides. I was helping people do something that made them feel like they were doing something better for themselves. And because I worked for a community college, I didn't wear a gray badge, I wore a blue badge. And that meant that I was a contractor and I was there to help them. And so I very rarely, I'm not gonna say I never got attitude. I worked with GED guys and it's mandated, right? So people don't want to do it. But I never got like real ugly. I never had to call an officer to do anything ever. I mean, I just didn't. They tried to recruit me like a son of a bitch because I had a good rapport with those guys. And I was like, but you know why I have a good rapport? It's because of the color of my badge. I ain't here for that. I'm here for this. And so, you know, I, I sit in a different spot. Man, that's oh, yeah. that's not with dope. Not with sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, again, it's the Zoom thing with the, and maybe it's actually just my computer with the cutoff. Um, but uh, I, I was just so the badge thing's interesting, and I, I don't even, I you, I, <laughs> and here I go stumbling over words because I, I always try to like tread this line of like being polite but being interested, and again, like it. It, it's kind of fucked up because again, you know, a person for an hour and all of a sudden you're asking them like some somewhat intense life questions. So you don't want to like be a dick and just ask, but at the same time you fucking, you, you want to ask shit. So you, like, you, you prefaced with a disclaimer. So that's it's true. All right. right. Yeah. It's the total like, man, fuck off next question thing. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at this mental exercise that you went through to prevent yourself from relapsing. Like how, how did that, how was, was that like through therapy that you came across that? No, no, no. Uh, I read a, a book, uh, a couple of books, actually. One by Neil Donald Walsh that's called conversations with God. And it presents a very different idea of what you are and the relationship that maybe you might have if you didn't carry any of the father figure connotations and instead looked at the situation as an experience. What if all that God is, is the other side of the mirror? what you can't physically experience, what you don't understand, or what it, what is consciousness, that thing, what if that is all that it is? But we all have it, and we all don't really understand it. And, and, and if you can, I don't know, man, it's, it's like, it's, for a lot of years, I, I wrongly, this is a terrible joke, and, and I'm gonna make myself look bad, whatever. For a lot of years, I told myself, because I was a heroin addict, I don't eat all the time anyway. I'm bound to hit the Rosh Hashanah once in a while. If you fast on that day, your sins of the year are atoned. I'll just claim I'm Jewish, right? <laughs> oh, shit. Right? That so was like a, is, like that was a justification. 
Absolutely, a hundred percent. But wow. this is how this is. However, you build your own story, you have to take the little pieces from all these other stories and find what works for you. Right? You can't. You. I don't believe anybody reads cover to cover the Bible and accepts every word as like literal. How? Like how? What? What does that even mean? Because there's too much contradiction and there's too much things that don't fit. So, so you're taking a lot of things in that space of faith. Well, what that space is, is yours. And you can do with that whatever you want. Why can't you? Why can't you? And in that, you, there's, there's a freedom. And if you experience success, then that breeds more success. And that has been my experience for the last 17 years. And so I have no choice but to own it as truth, at least for myself. What was the first success that gave you the empowerment to like, actually say no or to stop what yourself? You, it was, uh, it was the, the drugs. It was. Oh no, I, I meant like to, to, to stop. So you're, like, I guess in my head, I'm like, everyone has a day where like they start, everyone has a day where they stop. Right. And if you're finding okay. this success, right. so like, you're like, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot up today. And then all of a sudden you go through the mental exercise and you're like, if I can just wait a minute, I can then wait two. If I can then wait two, I can wait four. Like, are you right. finding little goals like that? Or am all I thinking right. about so that? This is, so I meet my wife. And I'm strung out. And she says to me, I don't think it's always going to be this way. I have a feeling. And her ex-husband, who I had known before in my life, before I got lost in drugs, said, you need to get that junkie away from my fucking kids or I'm going to handle this problem. Mm -hmm. And then she called him from Oklahoma and then from Florida and then we came back. That was 17 years ago. I guess I've been to Florida twice. <laughs> we, drove, we drove across the country, the five of us, in 18 days, just just driving every day across the country with nothing to do but to see the sunrise on the, the East Coast. And that trip, I detoxed. The two weeks before that, Tina spent her money, took me up to Portland and bought dope. And, and was like, I, and I would be like, I don't understand what you're doing, but you know, I'm not gonna. And I was careful. I was, I wasn't like flaunting anything in front of kids or anything like that. I was a conscientious junkie. If there could be such a thing. And dude, that's, I just went to functioning alcoholic, right? Like so many people with alcoholism don't give a fuck about whatever, drinking all day in front of your kids, having kids mix drinks or get you beers and shit. Um, but I had never I don't know if maybe it's just my gullibility or ignorance, but a conscientious junkie is like a jarring statement to me because it kind of makes you wonder about like, is it not as prevalent as alcohol? Cause you don't think of heroin people or someone being on heroin is like being able to function and shit. But if you're well, you conscientious, not, but I just didn't do it. Like I didn't, I don't know how to say it. Kids go to bed and I could wait. I could be a little clammy and ill until they went to bed and right. then get loaded. 
You know what I mean? I just, yeah. I did things like that. So we go across the country and we're in Alabama and there's trees and rolling hills and we're thinking about staying and we're in, in no exaggeration ran out of town by a preacher. <laughs> <laughs> and so I tell her, listen, the South's not going to work for you. You're, you've got all sorts of will and they don't like that down here. And so let's go back. And I put, money in my wallet i told her this is for drugs when i get back now i detoxed across the country basically fucking <laughs> full disclosure vicodin in albuquerque new mexico crack in dallas and weed in florida this is my detox across the country so you're cocktail. just you're just scaling down the intensity of the drugs the further you get east yeah but when, as soon as i know we're coming back to oregon i'm like this is for that when i get back because i know where to get it we got back, let me think. We got back April 15th, 2002. I shot dope nine or 10 times until November 4th. The last two times I had run into one of my dad's old buddies. My, my connection to drugs is through my parents being addicts and joining the party when I graduated high school. And uh, um, so I run into one of my, my dad's dead now mom's involved in NA so there's no connection and I run into an old friend and he's he's fucking making uh methamphetamines in the canyon with this other guy and he's like yeah come up let's have some fun and so the last two times I shot dope it was actually that dope with that guy and the second time I thought to myself if I was driving home thinking about how I'm gonna have to fucking explain this again when I don't really want to do it. And I'm trying to get my fucking head around this idea of not, and I'm not to that part of the book yet. And, um, I told her when I got back, you know, the problem is that I'm not even fucking, I'm not even strung out on heroin. I just can't see doing drugs. Not like the effects. Why fucking bother? Right. I've been chased, playing with this needle for a decade. There's no fucking smoking or snorting anything. It's just not why I bother. And, uh, and I'm bothered by this idea of being hooked on the needle more than I'm hooked on being a heroin addict anymore. And then that night spun out, I'm reading this book and I come across the, the ability to use I am something as a power statement. If you can convince yourself of these things, then at the same time, I'm reading this book on creative visualization and, and how, to, how to meditate and visualize success. Not even success, just peace, right? I'm an addict. I've been crazy for a while, and now I've got three kids, and I want this to work. I, like I, all I want to do is not fuck this up, too. And uh, I don't know. It, it just hooked. And then I spent... Like I said, I spent a year, like 14 months, hard at the beginning and then less at the end. But I watched my mom go through NA and she gave me the book and it was a big to do. And I told her, you know, maybe someday I'll get clean, but it's certainly not going to be because the room with people are giving me a fucking hug, telling me it's okay if I fuck up. That's not- <laughs> so I'm going to have to find my own way. I'm going to have to figure my own way. And that's that is in a nutshell my story is i can't fucking i have to figure my own way to it 
and it's not a always been the conventional road, I guess. At least not that road. That one wasn't. A lot of people don't find their way free of dope. And uh, well, no, because you hear the and I, I, I've, I, I never have. So it's and I, I guess I'm fortunate enough to not know if I've dealt with people who have. If that makes sense. And that's why I was kind of intrigued by your conscientious junkie kind of a thing. It just, it got me thinking about there could be a ton of shit about people that I don't know. You know, um, um, when you said you were more bothered being hooked on a needle than the heroin. Yeah. So I, I don't know, again, not, not to be a dick or anything. So like, you're like just bothered by that visual of injecting yourself that that's really what you were like, man, enough's a fucking enough at that point. Or what did you mean by that? I guess I shouldn't like put words in your mouth. Well, that's, I mean, what I mean is that I was, I had been thinking this whole time that I was a heroin addict and I had to be free from heroin in order to be okay. And then I had spread it out, right? April 15th to, we'll say the last two times I used were methamphetamine. So like April 15th to like October 20th or 25th, somewhere in there. In that time frame, I didn't shoot every day. I shot like eight, eight times I shot heroin in that, in that time frame. I couldn't let it go. I couldn't, like it was an old friend I felt like I had to visit once a week or every 10 days or something. I don't know how to explain it. And my wife was extremely supportive in if this is the way you're going to find your way, then, then this is what we'll do. And, and so those last couple of times, because it wasn't, it wasn't heroin, it allowed me to think about it in a different way. Just like, I'm not, I'm not chasing that anymore. I've been telling myself this story and it's way more like, like who wants to be a needle freak? Like, even if you're a junkie, you don't want to think that that's the problem. Like you fucking want to stab yourself. And I was a, like an unpleasant junkie to be around in that I would rather stick myself in both arms and my feet 26 fucking tries before I would miss or do a muscle shot. I wasn't about to do that. I didn't want to fuck my body up the way I saw other junkies looking. And so I would just keep stabbing and stabbing and stabbing and stabbing and stabbing until I found a vein. And I had been doing that for years. And so it made sense to me that I had, I had this fucking weird, like maybe like a cutter. I don't know. I never did that, right. but I did stab myself for fucking 10 years over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And, you know what I mean? And, and so it was a, it became that like, is this what's going on? And that was way easier to let go of because Maybe just because of like society telling you, oh, heroin's so scary and you'll never get away or whatever. And so I was telling myself, that's the problem. And as soon as I realized that wasn't the problem, it was this. I was like, I don't need that. I'm not shooting drugs. And that became the key because why the fuck would I want to do a line of cocaine after doing a blast of cocaine? Like, dumb. Like, they're stupid. (laughs) And, uh, and, And so it was easy not to do anything except for smoke weed and psychedelics are a different scene. They're not, they're not part of the same conversation for me. Yeah. That's fucking super interesting too. Right. Cause you go marijuana gateway drug, typical, whatever bullshit propaganda kind of stuff. Right. And the psychedelics and the fucking exploration and almost empowering when, 
the more I talk to people who are free when they do that shit, dude. And I've had like, um, <laughs> I had this dude, Luke, who was on Naked and Afraid three times. He was on the pod. And um, he was telling me a story about how he, uh, <laughs> how he went um, on a trip with his brothers to take mushrooms just to like fuck around and like discover their inner selves. And then I talked to um, this other dude who's fucking going to shaman and like he's in Peru. Um, man, what the fuck is that tea that I still can't say? Ayahuasca. Yes. How do all you fuckers know about this? And I can't even remember it. Yes. The ayahuasca. And he's fucking going through the galaxy, Spencer. And, you know, he's fucking like finding inner self. And it's it's so exploratory on a spiritual level. The psychedelics are described. Do you know what I'm saying? So it. Yeah, um, I, so no, you I'm just now, I've only just recently found my way to DMT, really. And uh, that's the next. That's the next goal. I've actually looked at different ways to to bring the the two different plants up, and and uh, do a greenhouse thing and make my own. Because again, I don't really want. I, I got to find my own road. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I just want to make it and do it or whatever. I don't. I don't. It's not a concern of yours that like it is a gateway thing at all. Like that doesn't fuck with you. What, what, uh, what a gateway to what? To going back. Oh no, 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 no. I would not. The only thing that, that, so like I said before, prison wasn't a trigger. When I was shooting drugs for a long time, I would go hustle in the morning and then stagger my ass down to the courts and play basketball all day a lot of days walking to the edge and fucking even my guts out because you're a junkie and you puke but that was my life that was what i did for years that was all i did and and so i uh i about five years ago my brother and i decided we were going to try the whole gym thing and there was a place called the hoop and it had 10 basketball courts and then upstairs weights Nate was interested in weights. I just wanted to play basketball. So we split it, right? Half hour of ball, half hour <laughs> About um, three months in, I had a real fucking weird week for myself where I was moody and shit like that. And then out of this blue, this little tiny fucking dope sick Hispanic guy wandered into the hoop because it was just open. And came and actually shot hoops with us for a little while. And my brother told me, I hadn't really mentioned that there was a methadone clinic around the back. And I was like, that's what's been fucking with me. Like that subconscious association of playing basketball and shooting dope for so many years, being oh. here, fucking with me. And, and that dude coming there that day in that condition was full on like, for me, in my life and how I believe the universe bringing it right to my fucking doorstep. I was going to say, go. was it like out of body experience type shit? You're seeing him and you're just fucking. Oh no, Nate was there. And he, that's why he told me afterwards, I didn't tell you about the fucking methadone clinic. Cause I didn't want, you know, I know that this used to be, and I was like, huh, wow, this is intense a little bit. But once it became a conversation and I became aware, it slipped away. We played another couple months there together. And, and then, uh, you know, just, kind of faded out but yeah that was that was a real big trigger kind of the method the methadone clinic methadone clinic well that's where all the junkies go to get drugs so they know where to get drugs dude methadone users know where the heroin's at 
most of them are still using. Got you. So you're in your head, you're, it's just tempting to get back to. No, I didn't know that until that guy showed up that day. Yeah. I didn't know there was a methadone clinic around and Nate told me then. And, but when he told me and that guy showed up, I went home and I kind of told Tina, you know, this has been going on. You know, we've been talking about why I'm moody and what the fuck's going on. And I think it's this, I think I've been playing basketball for a while again. And, and it just reminds me of, like not reminds me of shooting dope. It just like reminds my body. Yeah. It's muscle memory, right? Like fucking yeah, people exactly. go to bars and they want to start smoking. Like they don't smoke any other time than they sit at a bar. Yeah, exactly. Same, same exact thing. And I think that's what was going on. Jesus. And it took a minute and a few kind of gut punches to put it right on that. But as soon as I had that, then I was good again. I was fine. It's, it's, it's always that way for me when I can figure out what the fuck is bugging me and express it out then I'm, I'm good. Yeah, man, that's that's such a fucking great point for mental health because, again, it puts you in control, right? It, it goes back to that almost like goal. I guess it's not a goal, but that self-reflection and expression, um, it, It's that's something I, I don't understand why it's so – and maybe I'm fucked up. Maybe I, I don't have that ability, but I feel like I can pretty much figure out pretty fucking quick like what's going on, what the fuck's your problem, bro? Hey man, get over your shit. You know, like I'll, I'll, I'll do like, yeah. I'll do like, um, fuck. Is it like, um, self deprivation talk? I'm like, dude, quit being a little bitch. You know, like I'll say that to myself. Like, dude, you're yeah. fucking like, quit being in your feelings. Quit being a fucking punk. Like move on, man. Um, right. And, and I've you're always a little harder on yourself, but that's kind of an East coast thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just fucking angry. We have, we have self talk that's negative like that, but we're like, come on, man. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, well, I do it. I do it when I'm running now too. I'll take a corner. Um, so I, I like jogging. I, I did five miles today and, um, you know, sometimes the wind's at your back and you don't realize it until you turn around and then you fucking like head on in the wind Yeah. and your first reaction. And I, I, I say it all the time in my head. I'm like, fuck. And then I follow it with like a, I'm fuck. I'm glad I got this challenge. Go, you know? And like, but your initial thing is to feel that like pity and it can eat at you, man. It can put you in a bad fucking place. You're just jogging. Your, you, your pace slows, your body language drops, your shoulders, your form, it all goes to shit. But then when you start talking to yourself in that positive way, like, man, fuck, I'm going to eat this wind up. This, you know, and like, what a great challenge. And oh man, look at the sun. And all of a sudden you get like that juju back. You get your vibe back, man. It's, um, it's so important. Yeah. And I always wonder why people can't, why some people struggle to do that. Well, you know, that's fucking, there's a million answers to that. <laughs> Are there? <Wow. laughs> I mean, there every, you can watch five minutes of any news outlet. And if, if you don't have the, maybe even, it, it, I don't want to say it like, like that. It's not about bootlaces, man. I've worked with, mental health for too long to know that there aren't really people that can't just snap out of it. There are people absolutely, if they get too much bad news, it's going to fuck up their year. Right. And maybe they don't go outside because of that shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's real. And, and so I, but there's also a line at the same time. There's also, there's also this other group of people that, that can and just aren't. And how do you tell them that they're not, you know what I mean? Like that dude, just get over it. <laughs> yeah right it's not Everything. that big of a fucking deal <laughs> yeah yeah right it's not and it's it's a 
I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird place. It's a weird place when it's hard to know how to support the people around you when, I mean, for me, I don't buy in to most of it. And so I have to, I have to not fake it because I love them and I'm supportive of what they're doing, but it, it, it's, I don't want to say I just don't believe them or whatever either. Cause that sounds too hard and critical. Right. A disconnect though like i don't understand maybe it's that i don't understand i don't understand it and it's a weird time because more and more we all speak english and there's very little understanding <laughs> that's so beautiful it's so beautiful well do you think it's because people don't fucking listen they just wait to talk well i mean I, you find the person that doesn't ever do that you know, <laughs> and right. maybe the, the, the Christians were right. And some of these come back because that's, that happens with everybody. I mean, we all try to do it. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe that's, I, I have my own pessimistic side about things too, I guess, but. Is, I mean, the, it is going through the addiction stuff. Is that why you gravitated toward the counseling or are they like kind of separate? It was more like the social sociology stuff where you're just like wicked interested into culture and people. Well, it's, it's more like, uh, I, I don't know, you know, some of us are, are driven to do, to build bridges and some of us feel compelled to try and find a way to, to help other people. And I don't know this, what I'm doing right now, isn't it. I worked in the prisons for a long time and that wasn't it. My master's degree isn't a teaching master's degree. It's an MFA in creative writing, but it's terminal. So I can teach K through doctor level writing classes and English classes. And so that's how I stuck my way into that teaching job. It's not that I have those credentials. It's that, that I have enough credentials that allow me to find my way in. So that's, dude, so I think when I messaged you, um, the message was all fucked up and I, I sounded like a bot and you were like, sure, I'll do it. Your spelling's fucked up. And I almost wanted to come at you with like, no, I spelled on correctly. It's more grammatical, but I didn't want to be like that sarcastic right away. <laughs> no, no, no. The thing is that I was making that comment to my original post about Korean natural farming. I was because there's misspelling and grammar errors in that post, and that's the post that you connected me. Oh, got you, got you, got you, got you, got you, got you. Okay, I no, I'm I'm self-deprecating too. I rarely lash out. Oh shit, <laughs> dude! I was like, this motherfucker. I can't wait to talk to him because he's already shitting on me before we <laughs> even talk about me asking him to come on. And I like I. But you were, again, it was correct because like, uh, I don't know what the fuck I was doing, man. Sometimes I'll like send people messages and then I'm feeling awkward. You know, like how do you word it? How do you not be like too like, hey, want to have you on? You're super awesome. We want to see you. But like be sure, polite, right. but be real, but not fucking like come across as a scheme. Um, so I like get in my own head when I'm typing that shit. And it like if I don't sure, proofread no, it, I just fucking hit send most times. And it, yeah. it, they are, they're fucked up. Oh, that's funny. So you were getting on yourself about that. God, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Creative writing. So do you actually like write? 
Like, do you do stories, poems, or shit like that? Are you a are you a journaler, Sam? Do you journal? I am a I am a concentration in poetry. No I way. Am, yeah, eight or ten different pieces published in different things, and one collection that I I don't want to do the self publishing road. I want to submit it and have it done traditionally. And so, and you have to pay to play. And so I haven't started yet, but I plan to work my collection out, which is my thesis, 80, 79 pieces about the beautiful Willamette Valley. Is that the, <laughs> is that the title? No. Oh, I was like, <laughs> okay. No, no. That'd be awesome though. If I was that cheesy. <laughs> yeah, right? I was like, oh, interesting. I was trying to like make connections with what I know about you in your life so far. And I'm like, so Valley can no. stand for. <laughs> no, it's actually probably, I, I'm trying to think of it because I haven't messed with it for a minute. I got my, I finished in 2018 and that's when we were traveling. And so I haven't really gone back to, I've only been settled back down uh, since about February. When we first got here in November, we were staying with family. Gotcha. And, uh, we got jobs right away and then got a place here in February. So it's next on the list, you know, start trying to fish my collection out there. Why do you care so much about the traditional publication route? Is it ego? Do you just want to be the guy at a cocktail party? Or I guess for you, it'd be what, like whatever, do they do mushroom (laughs) parties or fucking whatever? You're sitting there popping shrooms and you're like, y'all realize you're talking to a published author at the moment (laughs) does it mean that much do you think it would mean that much i don't know it's just it's like i don't know it does i mean the answer is yes i guess because i would rather somebody say this is good enough than to be like hell yeah give me 800 bucks you know what i mean Um. and i know i mean i went through the mfa i i stay in touch with some of my professors they're they're friends of mine and they get checks no joke like $72 a year sometimes because nobody buys poetry it's not about that it's just right. about this for me since I'm like 14 if I'm not doing anything and there's a notepad that's what happens crappy poetry and it's better now I think it's is I mean it's as good as any other crappy poetry you know what I mean well maybe not that I don't want to say that that's that's not true yeah man now you're sounding like an east coaster yeah. come on man <laughs> Come on, man. Fuck those other... No. That's <laughs> um, so I'm going to go on a limb and say if you've been writing poetry since you were 14 and you're into hoops, you also probably have some um, sick battle raps in your head that you bust oh, out on occasion. Not. No, no. No. That's not, my, that's not my thing. Don't lie. Come on, man. Come on. There's I, no I, way. Your poetry, you think, fucking hey, baller. On. No. You got to think back through this conversation and think if this is be where I would be like, no, I'm going to lie now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I play acoustic guitar and I finger pick and I play fucking that, that music and, but I don't write my own songs. That's not what I'm doing. I don't, I like, they're separate for me. Like, you know how the government, they keep shit straight through compartmentalization. So <laughs> I never say that word right. I always try and I, I sound like I'm drunk every time. I'm like, compart- okay? compartmentalization. 
And like, I have to, um, fuck. No, no, you did great. That's why I was like, um, that, that's why I'm, you made it seem so easy. It's like if I watched someone do a backflip on a trampoline and then I tried one at a trampoline park and I had fucking four people rushing over to me being like, Jesus, we thought you broke your neck. And I was like, I, 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 thought I, I, fucking, I thought I was fucking close. So anyway, when you said it, I was like, God, he just made it sound so easy. <laughs> well, thank you. That's the one takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> That's the big takeaway. This mother, <laughs> this motherfucker's syllabic ability is off the charts. <laughs> nice. See, well, you know, the poetry degree is a total waste. <laughs> <laughs> and the speech, and the speech classes, just fucking killing it. Yeah. Right. Nice. It all came. It all came around. Circle there. Good stuff. Yeah. So, man, that's interesting. So you don't merge the um, music and the poetry. So is it more like a, is the poetry more like randomized or it doesn't have like that rhythm to it? No, I wouldn't say that. It's just a different, I don't know. If I tried to marry the two, I don't know how much Joni Mitchell you listen to, but there's not a lot of like hook in a lot of Joni Mitchell. It's kind of just, a poem with a with a, a three four time thing laid to it, uh, okay. but I don't sing like Joni Mitchell, and so uh, I don't I don't know. It's a self confidence thing, you know. There's a there's a guy on Twitter, Napoleon. Sound like I can't think of his last name, but dynamite. He puts some, it's it's not dynamite, but you know, yeah, <laughs> it's a takeoff on that. And, oh, is uh, it really uh, nice? <laughs> yeah, totally. I know, nice. right? But. Anyway, he puts songs once in a while on, and uh, and I think if I had just a little more umph, but it's hard for me. Like I'm, I don't know, you know, whatever. This has been good, but this has been uh, like uh, my toe into that world as far as it goes. Oh, and you so, mean just trying to be publicly? Yeah. So is it fuck with you? Like this, whatever the podcast gets post, and like in your head, you're kind of like there's a weirdness for you about the reaction to what it'll be that kind of fucks with no. you a little bit. No, no, it's not that so much. This is different. It's, it's just that it's just the putting your, I don't know, putting yourself out there, putting yourself on stage that way. I mean, I've done a, a few, a few poetry readings and I prepare for them and practice and do them and they go off fine and, Nobody knows that I'm nervous and I have to take a nap after or whatever because it's stressful. But it's it's just that. It's like a, it's that. I don't know. I don't, get, I don't know why it's – if you care about something, then you don't want to get judged too much on it. And I like to play guitar. I've been playing for a while, and I don't think that I'm bad. And I know a lot of songs I can play for hours, and I tell myself all the time I'm going to fucking – my huge fucking goals is to play crappy bars around here. As far as it goes, I don't, you know what I mean? But I don't, I'm not trying to be a rock star at 44 and I play an acoustic guitar by myself. It's not like that. At the same time, I, I think about my next step. I have a, I have a brother and a couple of buddies and, and we all make jokes and we had a lot of conversations about doing like a, like zoom comedy or or throwing some sort of shit out and trying to write something with my brother that sort of stuff but i just haven't i haven't pushed plus i've been running the last couple of years just on the road 
Right. I took a left turn in my life and I'm just now settling back in. Oh, aside from the cross country trip to Florida, there's another hard left turn. Well, no, just coming back all that. The last gotcha. two years, we, we went and did three months at Lake Mead and then came back to Oregon for the grow season and then went to Florida for a year and then came back to Oregon and spent some time in different states along the way, just hanging out, spending money, that sort of stuff, whatever. But yeah, that put everything, put all of those sort of things on hold kind of in a like pursuing publication, for example, or chasing the idea of playing in a crappy bar or whatever. I mean, it's just everything got put off to work on the reconnection with the, with the wife. Yeah. Probably a good call. (laughs) Probably a good call. You know, you you come to sometimes, maybe not every relationship. We actually had a, a very, very like very little disagreement, very little ripples, very little problem. And then a great big gut, gut punch kind of thing came along and shook everything. And we had to, we had to, you know, we had to decide what was important and we were more important to each other than, I don't know, you know, not, not holding on or not working to make it work or not. And again, we just, we did that. We drank real hard for eight months and yelled too much. And then we quit drinking and things settled back down and now we're in a really good place again. (laughs) And if that's, the damage, then that's all right. Cause we don't really drink every, you know, like every two or three times a year, we'll get like a beach house with my brother and his wife and, and whoop it up, have some drinks, that sort of thing. But it's not daily or weekly or even monthly. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, once you go down the weed and psychedelic route, it, uh, it limits your drinking. Like, you don't, I feel like if they could, it's gotta be a fucking lobbyist again, conspiracy shit, whatever. But like in Delaware, they decriminalize, um, I think and under 28, 28 grams, that's an ounce, right? 28 grams in an ounce. So yeah, you can get caught with an ounce, um, decriminalized. We have medical here. So, and, um, you get like PTSD or fucking anxiety, whatever, get a card. You can buy some really expensive weed type shit. But they're trying to, from what I understand, the alcohol, like you can't order a case of wine through the mail and get delivered in Delaware because the lobbyists in Delaware, there's three basic distributors that sell all the fucking liquor in the state. Talk about a monopoly, right? Yeah. Word on the street is they're the motherfuckers that are holding up legalization of selling weed in Delaware because they want to be the distributors for the weed that gets sold. Yeah. And like, so I, I guess all that to say, it's very rare that people are all fucking in on like, man, I like, I drink and smoke to relax at night. It, it's usually one or the other for most people. Yeah. And Oregon. Oh, good. Well, no, I was just going to say like, and I feel like if people had the choice of both, I feel like most people would fucking just like smoke a J and relax. Right. Like just fucking chill out. Like instead of, a glass or two of wine at night, like have a fucking joint and just explore your mind, giggle at some fucking comedy, right? Like 
it would just be, it, it's, I, I just see it as such a better and probably more healthy way and alternative that I think people would choose. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of years of mind changing in a lot of parts of the country for that to be like a kind of widespread idea. I think, I mean, there's going to be pockets everywhere, but I don't know, man, there's, there's a lot of, it's basically that the whatever's left of the 62 million that initially voted for Don, they're never going to like puff on that devil weed or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> but Budweiser is American. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know. It's just, it's whatever. Which is, yeah. Anyway, it's so, whatever. Cool. yeah, it's, it's just the marketing. It's madman type shit where like the marketing has just become the reality and you're like, but is it the reality? Or is it just something that we've all accepted that like three kids, picket fence, you know, like or suburban right. life type shit? Like, is it just something that's been marketed and droned and you see it so much that it becomes? Um, yeah. I'm interested. So are you and your brother like comedy writers? If you're talking about writing shit, or do you guys go more comedic with it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would definitely be. That's that's it's always that way. I mean. Can I get your best pitch? Like, what's the idea you guys feel the strongest about where you're like, oh man, we could definitely make this thing. Oh man, it's, it's not, I don't know if it's the best pitch or whatever, but the thing that we've been talking about lately is it's, it's not good. (laughs) It's it's funny to us. Uh, Just the idea of like, you take your, your courtroom setting or your, your, military drill instructor setting or your zoom meeting setting take your pick but it's just all the elvis impersonators doing that you know what i mean like (laughs) elvis impersonators in different settings acting like they're yeah but just in that like legitimate serious this is like we've got a marketing meeting and, and, but just everybody's doing their Elvis. Kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know. Why don't Elvis know. dude? Are you guys Elvis fans? I don't even know that that's the case so much. It's just, it's one of those iconic things that is, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, it's not good, but it makes us laugh. Dude. I, I think that's, I, I think that could be hella interesting because you do have like multiple different Elvises, right? Like the fat Elvis is doing his thing, the skinny, ambitious Elvis, the stupid Elvis. You can take right. all sorts of different fucking of his personalities. And then like if you play it out, the Elvises start getting pissed at each other because they're like this motherfucker again. You know, like could you just put the hoagie down or, you know, maybe not speak and spit on the camera? Or do you always have to just fucking zoom in on your hips? Can we see your face? Yeah type shit like i can see it yeah who knows it's one of those things it's we we floated around i think that that i don't know we make ourselves laugh and so sometimes there's a there's a market for things sometimes whatever that's like anybody can throw a fucking youtube video up yeah except for trump in about three weeks he if he keeps fucking with twitter (laughs) (laughs) put the clamps on that motherfucker (laughs) poor guy would um Uh, would y'all um dress up as the elvises or are you like gonna have to hire absolutely it would have to be it would have to be in like in character with voice (laughs) 
That's awesome. Yeah, it would it would have to be full on like glasses and rhinestones thing. Yeah. So are you just unable to grow sideburns or are you not willing oh, no, to no. I I am a big bearded guy. It's not that. It's it's more about it's more just about taking the time to punch something up and then actually try and throw it back and forth and edit it out. That's that's really all writing is, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the next step. You have to do it. But I am part of my problem when I played basketball was always playing to the level of the defense. Oh, and so that's a great how point. that translates in my life is that I want to put in as much effort in this project as you want to put up in. And if you're not doing very much, then why would I want to, like, why would I want to be working with you and doing all the work? Right. And yeah. that, that is a bad mindset because it prevents me from, from just going and doing it and pursuing it on my own or whatever. I like that playing to the level of the defense. That's so true. It's so easy just to fuck around if some guy's terrible and you're like, eh. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, yeah. And maybe someday it'll be, there's just a different drive. Nate's my brother is five years younger than I am. And, uh, he is, we don't, you know, no two people are exactly the same and, and how things, how things have played out. There's just a different, there's just a different space. And I, I will all find a publisher eventually in my life. I have no doubt. And, and I don't know that, that that would be, well, if he decides to, I mean, that would be it. You know what I mean? That's for everybody. All you got to do is make a decision. Cause so pursue does, it. does he have literature or writing or poetry? I guess poetry technically. Nate, actually, my brother does actually have the, the rap part of it. He's, done that like he would do karaoke a lot of times and and have him like play whatever line and then just do his stuff and did well like people would come up you know it was it wasn't bad he's he's got talent he did a uh ran with a few other people like doing a clown thing i don't want it's i don't want to associate it to the to the the juggalo scene icp it's not, it wasn't that, but it was a clown scene and they were doing their thing. And so whatever, you know what I mean? He's my brother. I got to defend it as not because it wasn't me <laughs> either, but you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so, but it was good. He's, they're good. He was good then. And, and he has, it's, it's, you know, we just have to decide to take those steps. You know what I mean? So that's and what you that's, mean when you said publishing, I was thinking it was more like a writing thing, similar to you in the poetry. Well, yeah, he he does write. He doesn't write poetry. He writes like short stories, and he he tries to write comedy sometimes. And and we talk about it and like discuss changes and and edits and things like that. And uh, and then there's been a couple things we've tried to work on together, or whatever. You know, what I mean, he's I'm 44 and he's 39. We just never pushed anything that was. I don't know if we had enough confidence in to try and write it out or. Or it just fizzled out, you know. Dude, is it tough? Like, I feel like almost what you said, like you put all this effort and love, um, energy into something that you're creating. It's almost like your child. And then to like meet up with somebody and then to hear criticism about it. I, I've never, never th- gave a shit ton of thought to like the collective creative process. And then especially yeah. if you incorporate like the brother thing, there's, there, there's always fucking like brother issues. 
So like on yeah. top of that, you know? Yeah, sure. And that might be why that, that might be the answer. That <laughs> I hadn't really thought about why we hadn't really pushed further because we bump up against something and he's like, fuck that. I don't care. And then I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it all. And then that's it. You know what I mean? Once again, we go around this horn. There it is. We solved it. All right. We'll check that off the list now. Good. <laughs> nice. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Did, did he, so you had said something about like the, you're partying with your parents, your parents being addicts. Did your brother go through that too? Or was he able to avoid it because he was younger? No. Well, no. He uh, watched. All my dad ever wanted was for me to hand him that high school diploma. And he was super hard on me, but they were also addicts. So in a lot of ways, I had a ton of freedom. Nate was younger and he's we're, we're different. You know what I mean? Like uh, I uh, learned to take what I was given and follow direction. And it was harder for him. And and so uh, when I handed that my diploma and went and picked up uh, the needle with some friends and then came back around and was like, hey, everybody went to jail and I'm strung out. Help me out. I knew money talked. And Nate watched that for a couple of years and went off to job court. And then he came back and it was a different level of depravity, right? Two years of junkie, not as much shits in the house, if you get what I mean. Oh. And, and he went back up to Job Corps, and when he tells the story, he says, I thought a lot about it and was doing psychedelics and thought, I got to make a choice. Am I going to go be with my family and do what they're doing? Or am I going to stay up here and kind of cut ties and pursue this life? So, uh, and, and just just to pause and do that, you said he was taking psychedelics to reflect on should he go home and deal with addicts. Yeah, yeah. I just like sometimes I, it it just it, the use of the psychedelics to almost get that like clarity to spend that time in your head. It just, the more you talk to people and I, we had said this earlier, but like the more you talk to people, the more it just isn't the like, oh my God, you're tripping balls and you're fucking out of control and you're going to hurt yourself type shit. It really just seems like it's just real introspective meditation. There's, well, there's, you know, there's two sides to a coin. Shit gets real sometimes. I mean, it's not that you don't watch things kind of dissolve in front of you. <laughs> right. Yeah. The face melting and shape and shit like that happens. And, and then there's this quieter place when that kind of, that shit's, I don't know how to explain it. It kind of settles in and then you're just in that. And within that space, if there's kind of anything on your mind or anything, you're not really fucking around with it sort of has a way of bubbling up maybe a little bit you're a little more open to thinking about it from different angles. Right. I don't know. It's just, there's, there's clarity in some things. And then there's people, I guess, you know, that have slipped into a psychosis and they never get to come back. I don't really know. I've never met that person. Yeah. I guess nobody would. Cause they're just running around the woods, fucking chasing little elves. <laughs> right. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. Why, so that's why you never see them. Why is it not hurting anybody? They're swimming. They're swimming right now to the moon. 
That's what they feel. <laughs> and I don't even know, like that could be, that could be hype. That whole story could be hype as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there's is no validity to me that marijuana is, is a gateway to anything. It worked quite the opposite for me and settled me down into a different space and became something that I dedicated 12 years of growing to because it's something that is uh, watched heal people and made my life better and put my mother into remission. I, this is for me, it's a big thing. I don't, uh, it just doesn't play. I don't even fucking, I don't ever think about like, Oh, I want to go fucking do meth and spend a week in fucking picking my fingernails and trying to drink as much as I can. Cause I can't sleep or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that sounds fucking awful. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and, uh, but at one time in my life, that was a, that was a regular fucking let's do this or whatever. You know what I mean? Whatever. And I don't know. God. So anyway, Nate came back. Nate's five years younger than me. And, uh, he came back and, Kind of joined in the party, slow at first and a little bit heavier. Oh my God, he, he chose the family. Yeah. Oh yeah. Went back, came home and... What? At that time though, my dad had, had cancer twice. So my dad was getting enough morphine to keep me and my mom and him and uh, uncle pretty fine with some despair. And we were shooting drugs at the same time because that was what we liked to do, I guess. And uh, when Nate came back, he started with the pills, started just playing with the pills at the, at the beginning, but then it slipped on down the line. And then after dad died, Nate went in. He went all in for a few years. Not like me, not the same way. <laughs> I was the, I was the one that no one thought was going to come back because I was, I was kind of all in. And, uh, and I was like real bad to myself. I wasn't, I never hurt other people. I mean, if you left your shit out, I'd steal it like that way, but I would never have hurt anybody or done anything. I was much more apt to, to, uh, I don't know. Snatch it That just wasn't my road. My road was a different area of depravity. But I won't be talking too much about that. <laughs> there it is. Don't fucking ask, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, dude, it's 2020. And yeah. there's there's this idea that when my dad asked me, he was concerned when I was like 14 that maybe I wasn't going to ride the straight and narrow. And I told him, dude, <laughs> my father and I's relationship, I told him, dad, you know what, man? A hole is a hole is a hole, and getting your dick sucked feels good. And he looked at me straight in my face and turned around and never asked me another thing about my life. And and so I don't know. There was a community that didn't mind. The, I never took anything or whatever, and I was careful on the giving in, I guess. But I played that game for a while with my addiction. Holy shit. That's how my wife found me. I was full on living that life. Jesus and Christ. Like, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's what you're meant to do. And I said, I don't think so either, but I'm going to die a junkie. So there's not a lot of fucking hope really. And uh, she said, I don't think that's what's going to happen either. And uh, maybe if you came and like, just 
stayed here for a little while and tried to get yourself together. And three days later, I came back and we've been together since. Got married four months after that. The last time I shot drugs was November 4th, 2002. We got married on the 13th. God, that's that's a long ways to come. And 14 years old, you're using all that shit? Did I hear that right or did I fuck that up? No, my brother. I, he was five years younger than me. So I was when he came back from Job Corps, I was 20 and he was 15. And that's when he started taking the pills. No, I'm talking about you when you had said the conversation with your father. When oh, you yeah, were, yeah, yeah. That was, that was at 14. That you were using at 14. I wasn't using heroin at 14. God. That's not necessary. God, dude. That blows my mind. Well, you, there's, I don't know how to explain it other than I grew up in a, in a drug culture. Right. Like, I grew up on the edge of two different, like, uh, one was absolutely a commune, and the other one acted like a commune, but there was a band that did a lot of touring, and so it was like a band house, flop house, commune thing or whatever. It, it just wasn't, I don't know. I waited my whole life to get to be part of the party. And uh, so as soon as I could, I was joining in the fun. But then everybody died because they were all addicts and fucking nobody knew, I guess. I don't know. I don't know, but they're all dead now. My parents and my uncles and all the people that I waited to be old enough to run with, they're all gone now. And uh, and so I guess that's maybe that's why I have been able to stay away because there's no there's no way to play with. I don't know. That's not true. I <laughs> I was stronger than all that. I just was looking for a reason. <laughs> looking to tie it up. You gotta end the story somehow. You are a writer. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> I had to make the plot tie tie back together. Um so is that how your father is that how your father passed away then? of an overdose or something? Was it the cancer? No, cancer. He, he got cancer in, let me think, 92. They cut out a big bunch of his colon. And then it came back in 98. And yeah, now I, it's hard to answer that question. There was a tremendous amount of drug use going on. We were all shooting dope all the time and taking a lot of fucking narcotics, pills, pharmaceuticals anti-nausea meds to hold everything down, uh, anti-anxiety meds because uh, it was kind of a paranoid time, living in a funky little spot. Uh, and uh, and then one morning, he was just, he was just, it was over. Oh my, so did you find him? Oh, well, my mom came and told me, she said, he's gone. And uh, it was like five o'clock in the morning. So she had just woke up or maybe... She had gotten used to, you know, I don't know if you've ever been around, but dad was full into that rattle for like three days before he actually left. We knew it was right on the edge. What do you mean full into that rattle? There's like a, it's almost like you don't have enough strength at the end to cough the phlegm out. So you just breathe through this phlegmy thing and it creates a rattle uh... and it's, it's lovingly referred to as a death rattle. And a lot of people, when they get to those last few days or hours, they will kind of be in this space of making this rattling noise. Happened with my mom too when she when she slipped away. Cancer took her too like six years ago. Oh my God. No, I'd um not been around that. So I wasn't uh wasn't aware. 
God, dude. And what, what's your, what's your reaction when your father passes? Does that just make you spiral and do more shit? Is it an awakening for you or? No, no, that was, uh, when dad died, that was mom and I were never like super close, but dad was one, my, one of my best friends, top three for sure. We, we were shooting buddies at that point. And, uh, um, yeah, no, I lost my best friend and the only anchor that I had. And, uh, so I, I had, uh, a first wife and she had just had a baby and I'm six, five and run about two forty to two sixty. depends on if I'm eating bad food or not. And I was at like one sixty two, and Shit. she, uh, she told me she was going to see family. This is right after dad died. She told me she was going to see family in California. And I went by like two days after they were supposed to be back and I had moved. And I, I thought, well, at least this way I won't fuck over my kid the way I fucked over this family. And maybe if I live long enough, someday we can kind of reconnect. And uh, kind of walked away and sunk deeper into that depravity I before mentioned of just, it doesn't really fucking matter now. Who gives a shit? And, uh, wow. and then my mom got into uh, an accident and went into a coma. And I told Holy her. shit, dude. Yeah, I know, right? I told her. I went up there. My uncle's picking me up. I'm all strung out, fucked up, and everything's terrible. And I walked in, and my mom was a six-foot California blonde, right? Up in Oregon. Nobody looked like my mother. And she, her head was, like, perfectly round with the tube sticking out of the front from the head injury. And I took her hand and told her, if you leave me now, then I will then the gloves are off. I'm going to, I'm going to take this next step and become that kind of fucking hit you with a golf club and take your fucking money junkie. I don't, I don't care. I can't deal with it. And, uh, she woke up and that's when she got involved in NA. And, uh, so I lost her anyway. And, uh, Oh, that's what you meant. So, cause when she went NA, you were staying on it. So then she, you guys just couldn't, interact she called me one day and gave me the speech and said you know you have to change your playground your playmate and your play things and so until you find your way i can't be a part of this and i told her you're seriously gonna tell me this right like i started this party with you guys and and there's no one left and you're gonna fucking walk away and she was like i have to for my own peace of mind i was like cool peace out or whatever you know what I mean like do your fucking thing and uh, then we just didn't talk very much for like six years and then she got cancer and I was full on involved in growing and CBD and making RSO Rick Simpson's cannabis oil and we had cured a couple of people our collective I was growing on a farm we were doing 96 plant crops there were five growers and we were doing a compassion farm which means we weren't charging money we just wanted to help people and see if we could make this medicine actual like everything's anecdotal about it but if you make someone's kid go from 50 seizures a week down to two it doesn't fucking matter to that parent and we were doing we were full-on involved in and so i trucked pounds from oregon to fucking right by san diego 
like eight trips, made oil, drug it down there, drug it down there and showed her how to make oil, got stuff from people down there and showed them to help. And she went into remission. And then this fucking grower down there who was supposed to back me up because you can only go for so long, right? It's a finite resource and grow season if you do outdoors once a year. And so I had to put somebody else in charge and it came back and she fell and broke her hip, went into a coma and we lost her. And so oh my I, God. I don't know. It was, it was a weird end to a strained relationship. Man, that um, I, I have heard that that CBD stuff is super powerful. And how fucking frustrating is that? So the you were just looking to have someone else maintain. And I know nothing about how to turn a fucking bud into oil or even if you use the buds to get oil or whatever, right? But you were looking for someone else to provide more pot and then that didn't happen? No, no. It, it did. So when you make when you make the soil it's cream of the crop. You don't use the trash. You use the best top pieces and you bust that shit up and you dump grain alcohol all over the top of it. And you extract uh, a tarry thick oil and that oil, like you use basically, what do I yield? A quarter pound will give me anywhere from 13 to 18 grams of that oil. The, the, so you can do that math out. You know what I mean? Like mom, we were doing a couple of pound batches. That was two months supply of oil, full capsules. She was trying, you got to get somebody up to a gram a day of this oil, which is, it's not like you have to grow a lot to, to get somebody to be at that level for the four months to kind of do the cycle or whatever. And that's all just guesswork. You know what I mean? There's no hard and fast. This recipe for this long will do it. If you take chemo, it's going to take longer because your body's being fucked up. You know what I mean? Okay. It's real hard to convince somebody with cancer to just take this plant juice, right? That's kind of a stretch. So you're always going to deal with, no matter what the results would be, which I would stand 100% behind what I've seen people experience when all hope is lost and they give up and they can't have any more radiation and they can't have any more chemo. And then they take this oil for six months and they're living a better life than they have in two years. And they're not going to live forever. That's all the, that's how many times do you have to see that in your own life before you're like, yeah, I'm sold. I'm all in. This is what I do now with part of my life. So then what happened with the, the guy, did the guy just oh, not the guy. follow yeah, up so with he, that? Or? He took the, um, the bottom branches and all the larvae stuff and the medicine leaf, like all of the trimmy stuff. And instead of going like you use a little bit of a fat, like coconut oil or avocado oil or whatever to make your body absorb it a little bit better. It's it, the fat helps you to absorb it quicker. And he used like, a half a cup you know what i mean he just he he took bad material and tried to stretch it really far and then instead of making like capsules or whatever he just handed my mom a jar of this sludge and was like okay jenny here you go and she didn't know what to do and instead of calling me and and having me come run to the rescue or whatever she just kind of was she just stopped is what she did i think she got tired you know gotcha. it's always i think i think she just got tired 
Plus, it fucked with her for a while. She was NA 15 years, and nothing worked with the cancer. And so she reached out to me, who'd been spouting about this for a couple of years. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, of course. This is what I want to do. And uh, But it was hard for her psychologically to kind of break ties with the NA community or to be honest with them because they were going to frown on her. And that was her support. Oh, she did. Jesus. Super, she had been super involved, like taking NA into prisons and done all this sort of stuff too. And so she, it was hard for her to step away from that. Gotcha. Which, the, know, I, is the CBD oil like it does it, it? I thought it didn't actually get you high, or is this something a little no, different? This is not that. This was, I would grow like three CD, CBD plants in a plot of 24 plants. And then when I would make oil, I would do like four to one, like four ounces of THC and then one CBD to give it the boost because it's got to be full spectrum for what RSO or for, uh, it, it's not CBD oil. It's Rick Simpson oil or full extract cannabis oil. It's, it's a different, it's kind of a different thing. Okay. I mean, it's absolutely a different thing. It's not kind of anything. It's like Tylenol and ibuprofen, if that makes sense. So when you're taking it, you you are taking something that would go against. And I guess that's why I'm asking, again, just to expose my total ignorance to the process. Because um, I, I do know someone who's um, pretty into, uh, for his kids actually, the uh, stopping seizures with the CBD oil. Like they're all fucking yeah. in on that. Like they're, 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 she went to like, this this poor child had tumors, facial disfigurement, was having like silent seizures and zoning out, and people wanted to put her on fucking like different like attention drugs, and like the like the parents were like, no, it's a fucking seizure, like, and they started doing research, they got into CBD, and it's fucking, it, it's great for her, it's great for their child, but they would have to take her out of school, even though it was a non narc or it didn't get you high. Non-psychoactive. Yeah, yeah. non-psychoactive. So, but they fucking had to like leave their job, check the kid out of school, walk him off the property, give him the pill, check him back in. And you're like, the, like the school nurse wasn't able to give her the, the medication for it. Huh. So I yeah. was thinking it was more like that. But from what you're telling me then though, it did actually like, it is a psychoactive. It makes you high. Oh, this, what I was making, what this is, is, is absolutely psychoactive. It 100% is. It's, it's distilled down. It's distilled down just like if you wanted to smoke a bowl and get stoned, you just make oil out of this instead of that, and uh, then take it in a capsule. Got you, got you, got you. Yeah. yeah, Jesus, fifteen years sober through NA, I could see how that would really that that would play on your fucking mind. Jesus, absolutely. And the, the only reason she came to me, like I said, is she had done two rounds of chemo and they didn't have any more options for her. She had lost a lot of weight and they said that they didn't think that she would be able to physically like take another round. And so she, she reached out to me and I went down there and uh, yeah, it was the hardest, one of the hardest, like one of those kind of visits where I had to walk out of the room four or five times and just like cry for two minutes and compose myself and go back in there to my 98 pound mom or whatever like that, who was was uh, just fucking decimated with cancer. And I didn't even know. Like, she just called me one day and was like, so this has been going on. Like I said, we had a strained relationship right in there. And, uh, and yeah, and I was like, well, this is what I can do. And she was like, yeah, let's let's try it. 
Yeah. And part of the thing, one of the big lessons I learned from my mom, though, was that she 100% did this for me. I had one day in particular where we got into kind of a, a hot discussion over the phone because she wasn't looking at anything. She wasn't doing any research for herself. She wasn't, she just was 100% taking what I was saying on, on that her son wouldn't do it wrong. And I was like, this is, you're going to die. That's crazy. What is going on? But you know, whatever. It's too late now to dig into that too much, I guess. What do you mean? <laughs> like you, you don't think she should have been believing you or you just. No, of course she should have, but you, I mean, like that's a, I don't know, man. It's it's still your your life. You still have to take. You have to know what's going on, and if somebody's, I mean, I just wanted. I wanted. I guess that's. I don't know. The way you said that kind of was a, an odd reflection for me because maybe that was enough for her, and it, and I didn't have enough faith in it at the time, or was really trying to get her to believe in something that she didn't care to believe in. She just believed me. Gotcha. gotcha. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. That, that makes more sense than just like willful, willfully not. <laughs> but, you know, we had a hard relationship. So you take, sometimes you fucking take those things in a, right. Each other. In a different way. No. Yeah. Cause I mean, I could just see it as a mother being like, you know, Hey, my boy said it like, all right, I'm good. You know, like it's just that simple and matter of fact sometimes I think for, um, I don't know, from your kids, you know, yeah. especially yeah. if you're older and you're in pain and you're in suffering. And if you're, I mean, clearly you're an intelligent motherfucker, man. So like your mom's looking at you and she's just like, wow, like that's all right. I'm, I'm solid. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. you don't want to read the yeah. fine print. <laughs> this isn't right. FDA exactly. approved. And she's like, man, I give a fuck. Come on now. You know? <laughs> right. There you go. Uh, well, that's, that's a good point. I'm serious. I kind of appreciate this. That's a good point. Man, so then that's like your little um, side hustle that you're not doing, huh? Your CBD. That's what you meant when you had said a growing season when you came back to Oregon for? I was wondering about yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Came back just to drop plants and uh, we got back at the end of May and we cut them down in October and drove to Florida. Are there snatchers? Like, do you have to worry about people coming into fields or is everybody just fucking growing it? So it don't matter. No, you do. I guess if, if you're just on broad street being all crazy, I never, I never really did. I was working on that farm. It was a, a 25 acre farm out there. We were only doing a 96 plant grow. It wasn't like 25 acre grow, but it was a big chunk of land and had a long driveway. I never worried about it. The other, the other places that I grew, it was the same situation. Like it was, I don't know. It's, I w it would be different. I imagine if you lived in the city in Portland or whatever, but I don't, I never live in the, in the big town proper. I'll live out in the little communities around it or in the, even on the outskirts of that, if I can find the right place, I don't much like to live in, in town exactly or the city or whatever. Certainly not any big city. I just, I think of like high school kids, like imagine if liquor stores didn't have windows or doors and they could just fucking creep in at like three in the morning and like snatch some beers and shit. So like if you oh, have yes. this pot, totally. you know, you just have this pot out in these fields. It's just so weird for me to think like, 
All right, man. Yeah, corn. And once you get past like five rows of corn stalk, there, there's some pot. And then like kids just lurking around fields looking to get some free bud. Is where yeah, my mind the, went, you know? the last three years it has really changed here. And you can drive down the freeway past six or eight acre hemp for CBD fields. The thing about those big fields, though, everybody knows that you can't get stoned off that, so the kids don't fuck with it. There's no point. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's smoking hay or whatever, right? And and most people who do who do like Oregon, everybody can grow four plants. If you have a property, you can grow four plants. And if your landlord doesn't say you can't, you can grow four plants. If you have a medical card, you can have six. And if you're a couple, that means you can have 10 on your land, you know what I mean? Or 12. And so a lot of people do that. And there's kind of an abundance of it around. And the other thing is that, like, you can go into any dispensary, almost anywhere, and for three or four bucks, get a gram of wheat. Huh. It doesn't have the value that would make theft worth the risk anymore out here. Yeah, the effort, right? Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, you can get anybody over 18 that is willing can go in and buy uh, two one-gram joints for five bucks, and then they get one and you get one, and now you and your two 16-year-old buddies can go smoke a gram joint out in the field and giggle jokes or whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? Right? Oh, Jesus. Is that what it is, dude? Are you serious? You two for five? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Oh my God. Yeah, it's crazy out here that way. Like, I think that it's cheaper to go to a dispensary and get a gram of weed than it is to go anywhere and get like a coffee, like to yeah, Dutch right? Brothers. I don't drink coffee, but it's cheaper than that. It's cheaper than a pack of cigarettes. Oh, fucking for I suppose sure. you can go get, it might be certain dispensaries have two gram or $2 half gram joints. And I don't drink beer, so I don't really know what like a 24-ounce can of beer costs. But that might be the same. It might be about two bucks either way. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. But it's harder. It's a lot harder if you're a kid to get that beer nowadays yeah. over here. Right? Wow. I had no idea it was like that, man. That's fucking that that does. That that's that right there. And I'm a I'm I'm a lean left social guy as well. Um and for my mind to be blown, I couldn't imagine the fucking Bible Belt being like, so you just walk into a store for $5? And, you know, like, yeah, Jesus, yeah. That, that blew me the fuck away. Wow. It's a trip for sure. It was a weird thing to watch them all open up and try to be like the old street prices and shit like that, $50 eights. And then yeah. everybody was growing and they couldn't compete because everybody can grow four plants. Right. And if you have, I mean, a lot of people, everybody that grows has their way of growing and they will tell you, oh, this is the way to do it. You know what I mean? That's that's the story of growing. And if you have success, then that story, it becomes like a Paul Bunyan. It's just yeah. bigger and bigger. Oh, man, you got to use this and you got to do it this way. Right. Or Which is what I was doing on that post. I'm like, this is how you save the planet. <laughs> but I believe that because I can, I can take uh, – a cup of rice and a little bit of brown sugar and make microbes by the millions and then introduce them into a plot of dirt 
that is hard and won't grow anything. And next year you can plant anything there and grow it. Huh. And I've done it over and over again. And that's, so that's my, you know, that's my two cents about <laughs> everybody should do this. Oh, the, the ground is depleted. Well, let's try this. Come on. Just put it in there. Jesus, Jesus, you fucking, and that's the other thing that, um, with you fucking West coast stoners that I love is you're so fucking smart. You just fucking like, you just, all, all you motherfuckers just know so much shit. Stoners can sometimes can get like a bad rep. Like, like all they do is fucking like sit around watching Netflix. Like, right. Like that, that's the, like the fear. It's like, Oh, you ruin your life. takes away your ambition. You don't fucking do anything. And like, again, the more people you talk to, it's like, um, I don't know, man. I, I really think your perception about what uh, marijuana does to people is uh, a little off. If, if you just talk to more and more people who smoke, like it's just fucking it it's not as bad as you think it is. It's not the end of the world by any means. No. No. I was a super good student throughout all that stuff in my thirties, having smoked for years and being an ex addict and everything. And like I said, I did well. I did well at it. Smoked every day. Every day before class. And at lunch if I could spread my classes out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's my time, I guess. I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. I, I would tend to, I would tend to agree, I guess. If I had to vote, <laughs> if I was the Senator, I would like, I'd be like, yeah, man, it's fine. Fuck it. Whatever. Um, right. So Sam, let me get you out of here on this, man. Um, so I do this thing. So I want you to start thinking of a pretty cool story that you want to share. I call this, can I get your best first? For last. We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. My best first. Don't overthink it. That's weird. I don't know. Oh, everybody feels awkward because I like hit them on the spot with the shit. So you know how you do like best for last? Yeah. So basically I try to be clever with alliteration because I too am a writer along with a journalist and a poet. So I love alliteration. So a best first experience for last. All right. Okay. So <laughs> just in the story form, right? Yeah. I mean, whatever the fuck you want to share, man, but something that would be like, right. Oh shit. Okay. So I pull over to my buddy Reed's house and he and I have been uh, doing a lot of methamphetamines in our nose. And he says to me, hey man, somebody showed up with cocaine and I saved you some. And I said, my heart is beating right now as I tell this story. And I told him, all right not really thinking. And he pulled out a syringe. And I was like, oh, well, I don't know if I can stab myself. So you stick me. And I looked away and he stuck me in the arm. And I took a deep breath and said, I think I'm gonna be sick. And I walked into the bathroom and I sat on the edge of the tub and you, like an old style four pane window in technicolor. Somebody threw a rock in the middle of each pane and it just flashed in colors. 
as fast as you could imagine flashing for like 20 seconds. And then I could see again. And both of my shoes were in the puddle of sweat that had dripped off my face in that second. And I told him, when is that guy coming back? And he said, he should be back tomorrow. And I couldn't find cocaine again for five years. And it saved my life. <laughs> That's a legit thing. Your fucking technicolor dripping and all that. And it was just that glorious. <laughs> it's, I have goosebumps on my body. Holy shit, dude. It's what turned me on the needles. And it, it's what, it, yeah, it was a, as far as the best first, it was absolutely one of the best firsts that ever happened to me. I thought you were going to tell me about you fucking like dunking on somebody, dude. Now that I know you're six five, <laughs> I thought you were going to be some fucking sick ass white man can't jump like hustle where dudes are picking you up and you're running money to like get some fucking drugs or some shit. <laughs> you Jesus. wanted something more off the off the no, dude. No, a little bit further down the uh, trail, maybe. So I. I went a little further down the trail. Dude, Jesus Christ. Yeah, you are a writer. That's a, well, fucking A, well said. So did a homeboy get arrested? Or like, why do you think he didn't come back? Oh, I don't know. Because, because, well, for me now in my life, because the universe didn't want me to fucking dive into cocaine like that because it would have been a different scene. I I don't know. I actually do know that I would have not been okay. It would have been a lot more intense of a fucking downward spiral in ways that I wouldn't even like to think about really because gotcha. it was a, it was a different ride. It's a different ride. Yeah, man. So my boys, they, they had this crack shack. I think we were maybe 17 and my one friend started hanging out and like finding a new group or some shit. And, um, I never understood like, what the fuck, man? Why are we not hanging out? Like, what the fuck, man? Like now you're ditching me. You got your, like your cool friends. Oh, cool. You guys hang out in your fucking shed. That's neat in the country. Um, and he never fucking invited me out there. So then one day by happen chance, I, um, get a job, uh, working with this dude and you know, you're just shooting the shit, whatever we're bussers. And, um, my friend is, he's part of the circle of the crack shack. I don't know. It's a crack shack at that time. So I fucking go over there and, um, it's Friday. These dudes, you know, they worked. And I guess like, that's the thing you get your paycheck. You fucking blow it that night. Right. So you're grabbing whatever Coke, Um, and then like two handles of shit, almost like what you were saying, where you just fucking get so up, you got to like drink to get down. And, uh, I remember going there and like watching them fucking just go all in on this shit. And I'd never been so fucking scared in my life, man. I'm like, y'all just blew your whole fucking paycheck and it's 30 minutes into your Friday night. And like, what the fuck now, man? Right. And and I was like, "I, I can't, I fucking can't. And my boy came to me years later. He was like, dude, you realize that's why I never invited you there, man, because the shit ain't right. Like you don't want, I, I didn't want to be the guy that brought you into this lifestyle, man. He was like, I couldn't fucking deal with that guilt. To me, that guy is a conscientious junkie. He right? took that, that in that moment, like I got a buddy, Andy, who we ran with for a lot of years in the middle of everything. Right after dad died, I moved in with him. And 
on the third day of being there, I cased Homeboy's house hard. Like, this is how long I could probably run this before people caught on. And then I walked away, and I didn't see him again for like five years. And he's, it's because I didn't want to fuck him over. I had, I didn't, I loved the guy, and I didn't want to fuck him over. And that, and though sometimes there's a little bit of fucking, they're not, none of them are lost. They're, they're just lost for now or whatever. All right. Yeah. And the, uh, I'm just thinking, and it's, it, it's great perspective to understand. And actually is a lot like um, a testament to what your wife saw in you, right? Like it, it's, you, you're not an addict. You're a person who's addicted, right? So exactly. it's, it's not yeah. who you are. I, it's, you, it's shit you got to deal with, but there's someone in there that's worth being with. And it, it sometimes people make um, hard choices, but the conscientious, the conscientious addict thing, I really, it's just, it, I don't know, a fucking bumper sticker type phrase that gives you real <laughs> quick perspective where it's like, that's, hey, you can have it if you can sell it. It's right? all you. Gotcha. And no, no IT property on that. Um, <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, dude, the way you fucking describe that first Coke trip, um, shooting it up. I'm like, Jesus, man, that's fucking, that can be scary. God. Yeah, it, it was because it, like, all I wanted was more of that. That's what was scary about it. All I was, my next thought was, let's go again, like being on a roller coaster. Go around again. And fortunately, the universe protected me. And I couldn't find cocaine for years and years. And by then, I was such a junkie that I, I was afraid of it because it would make you dope sick. And when you're a heroin addict, you kind of avoid things that are too stimulating because it brings on being sick quicker. Uh, and so it was safe or whatever then too. Gotcha. Jesus. So much about this world. I didn't know. I literally had no idea that all this shit would come up, man. Jesus Christ. I didn't know what I expected to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but I did not expect a teaching career, political conversation and a shit ton of CBD and addiction. Wow. I didn't either. I had no preconception about it. I'm kind of glad that's good. It's good stuff. Thank you, Sean. No, dude. F- fucking thank you. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> I was going to say thank you, man. It was, um, Dude, it was so great getting to know you and um, shooting the shit. No better way to fucking spend a night, almost midnight here on the East Coast, um, just fucking learning about what you've been through, man. Just fucking, again, the perspectives of on um, on just people. And dude, even, and I, I don't know, and I always suck at like ending shit properly or whatever, but so fucking commendable about like the quality CBD shit, or I shouldn't say shit, things that you're doing for like not straight profiting. Like, think about that, right? Uh, that That's that's fucking amazing to me, man. Well, yeah. Like I said, man, I, some of us are called to do certain things. I, I just, it makes me feel better if I can help people, I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's just what happens. It's just the same as poetry. It's just what, it's just kind of what I do now. I got to get back even with the house. <laughs> yeah, right. That karma thing just can't be last. Whatever the fucking cutoff is, I just got to be one better. Just got to be one better. I know there's a line. There's a line. Tie it back up one more time. Awesome. <laughs> no doubt. All right, man. Well, yeah, man. Sam, thank you so much for your time. It was uh, great getting to know you. And um, I'll stay up, man. You know, I'll be following you on Twitter and uh, laughing at your uh, jokes. Looking for you on Zoom. All 
right on. You too. Absolutely. All right, man. Have a good one. You too. Take care, man. Huge. Thanks to Sam for coming on the pod, getting um, real, fucking in-depth about addiction. And you know what? Even more importantly, man, fucking congratulations to you, Sam, for turning it around, being brave enough to share your story with the hopes of uh, others learning from it. It's fucking impressive, man. I fucking love it. I love the fact that uh, people can overcome, man. It's just fucking great. Uh, thanks to AndrePsyche.com for sponsoring today's pod. Please go to AndrePsyche.com for some trippy-ass merch. You are not, and I repeat, will not, are not, will have not, ever, are going to find anywhere else on the entire World Wide Web. I felt like I was going for this echo thing. I don't know. It was for emphasis. I, I doubt it worked. Um, Please. If you have not already, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, subscribe, rate, review the pod that you just listened to on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you pushed play. I mean, we're almost at three hours at this point. What's another couple more seconds and clicks? And finally, if you or your brand are looking to expand your audience or exposure, just message us. We would love to partner with you in doing so. Later.